This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Buffalo Football Monday. Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Now four days removed from the Bills kickoff game on Thursday. A lot happened in week one, and holy jamoli is the league wacky. That game in Cincinnati was wack-a-lacky. I even tweeted that. Yeah, it was. Did you hear Ian Eagle during the telecast? He goes, what is going on here? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> that, think about it. That that game, was, and, and I'll say this too, because T.J. Watt goes down in that game. Yeah. And the game he was having up until that point, he was wrecking the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean wrecking them. Yeah, they invested all this money in an offensive line that didn't do much better than the one they had last year in terms of protecting Joe Burrow because he was on his back all day. Burrow's getting crushed every every third time he drops back. And aside from that, the, the, the Cincinnati offensive line can't get anything done. The offense of the Steelers doesn't look too bad with Mitchie Biscuits, right? I mean, they're making right. some hay. I mean, hay he threw plus. for 180-something yards and in Joe an overtime Burrow, game. I know you heard Joe Burrow had like four interceptions in the first half. A little bit of them were like the Josh Allen type, you know, interceptions. They get tipped, you know, or whatever. He threw one right into the face mask of T.J. Watt as Watt jumps up, catches the thing, which is unbelievable. Another one was a – what was it? It was a tipped – Batted up interception. It was in the in the in the in the pocket. So it was a couple of those for Burrow. But man, oh four man. picks for him. Four pick in the first half. It was U G L Y. You ain't got no alibi. And they still had a chance to win. And they still had a chance to win. Touchdown to Jamar Chase. No time on the clock. It's tied at twenty. They have a chance to win the game on the untimed down of the extra point, which you can still kick when time has expired. And, and unfortunately <laughs> for them, their long snapper got injured in the game. So they have a backup long snapper in there for the extra point. And while Charles Davis and Ian Eagle were obsessed with the time it took for the ball to get back to the holder, which would not be as quick as their starting long snapper, that wasn't the biggest problem on that play. The biggest problem on the potential game-winning extra point for Cincinnati was they left a Pro Bowl safety uncovered in the protection. Minka Fitzpatrick could have walked his dog in there fast enough to block the kick. I mean, forget about how long the snap took to get back there. Minka Fitzpatrick could have walked down Broadway and blocked the damn thing. And it's not like it wasn't. It was the first kick of the game. The kid kicked a 59-yarder early in the game. A 59-yarder. He pops through early in the game. So it's like, wow, the kid's going. So they had it together up front. Later on, they just decide, you know, I'm just not going to – this is a game winner. This is a, this is an afterthought. I'm just not going to play this guy. I'm going to watch Minka Fitzpatrick go in and get a hand on this Let's thing. see if he's fast enough to get back there. I'll bet he's not. It's a defensive back. How do you not have that guy blocked up? I'll bet Minka Fitzpatrick is not fast enough. Let's see. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. The game – is on the line. You kick this thing. Just just get it up in the air. You get win. it up to the uprights, yeah. and it's done deal, it, Lucille. You, win. you kick it, you win. They don't block Minka Fitzpatrick. Is that such a Cincinnati thing? It kind of Are we going back to, like, the Cincinnati we used to know? I think we're headed that way. 
They gifted the Steelers that game. Uh, listen. They gave them multiple chances, and that's not even the worst offense. I'm going to tell you what the worst offense in the game what's, is. What's the worst offense? Okay, so let's just, for the people that did not see this game, which was on locally in Buffalo, uh, for those that are wondering. So, all right, you don't, you don't block up Fitzpatrick. He blocks the extra point. You're going overtime. You lose the coin toss, okay? Pittsburgh gets the ball first. Or no, I'm sorry, they won the toss. Didn't they win the toss? No, I think Pittsburgh had it first. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um because both teams had a chance to win the game. Oh yeah, with field goal this attempts. Was like, this was like fourteen minutes and fifty-eight seconds into this game, so, into overtime. So Cincinnati is lined up for a twenty-nine-yard field goal to win the game again, and the snap is way high. Huber somehow catches the thing and pulls it down, but because the the snap yeah. was so high, and it's like, never gets a chance to spin up, the laces you out. You got a backup tight end snapping it, who is not really good at it. So the snap is over Huber's head. He has to come out of his kneeling crouch to get the ball and get it down. He's got no time to spin it because McPherson's already there. He kicks the laces, Shankopotamus left, and the game continues. Yes. The Steelers come down. And they have a chance at a 55-yarder. And Boswell's got a good leg. This thing's got more than enough distance. But clang, clang, clang goes the trolley it's, off the left upright. No good. He hit the thing. And it was spinning vertically. But it was, it was snaking. So it went into the middle. Hooked back outside. Yeah, and hook. then came back and doinked off the upright. Now that's the... Yeah. And that's with three minutes to go in overtime. Here's the clanger for or our two MSU and a half, two twenty to go in overtime. Um, yeah. So that was a miss. So now, now Cincinnati gets a chance to come back down the field. <laughs> they can't get a first down. And Ian Eagle even mentioned this on the telecast on CBS. They stopped the clock. They didn't right. run clock. With a minute left, the game. The Bengals had a chance to run time off the clock before punting. They snapped the ball with 18 seconds on the play clock. Oh, now I granted. Now that the same long snapper, right, is backup, so they're probably not asking him to do too much, right? But running 18 seconds off the clock when there's less than a minute to go, when you can lose, and you did, is. Football 101. I mean, you could have run 18 more seconds off. Does it make a difference in the end? I don't know. Maybe it does because they kick it with no time left. In, oh, no. How much two time seconds, is left? Two seconds two left. Two seconds left in overtime. So that's 14, a valuable left in, gone 18 in seconds that the Steelers were handed by the Bengals. And so Boswell gets a chance. What was it? A 53-yarder to win? Um, yeah, 55, 53. Yeah. yeah. So and he wins it on a 53-yarder. On the last play of overtime, those two teams are going to be hanging today, playing Listen. five full quarters of football. And that's Whoa. and that's only the beginning because I'm not we're not going to get into it. But the New Orleans Saints Atlanta game was drunk. Oh, that was a tire fire of decision. Oh my making. gosh, what a dumpster fire that ended up. They they were you go down the you go you down the list to play. You watch the end of that game. It's like, dude, what? 
How about what? James gonna, Winston? Wait, wait. You're going to do what now? The bit, My favorite part. James Winston James spikes Winston the ball. James Winston spiked the ball to stop a clock that was already stopped. That was already stopped. And it's intentional it, grounding. It's intentional grounding. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your starting. There's your Woo! QB1. And, and no, you don't need to play guys in the preseason. Are you kidding me? That is why you play guys in the preseason. So Abs- they're actually remember drunk. some of this stuff. It was unbelievable. He, the clock has stopped because the guy goes out of bounds. They run up. They hurry <laughs> the line to spike it. And, you know, so. That, that, that game was a comedy of errors at yeah. the end. Um, Marshawn Lattimore got drawn into a personal foul by one of the receivers for Atlanta who went into his best European soccer acting and flopped after oh, yeah. a two-hand shoved him. He fell down like he'd been, you know, uh, like he'd gave, been hit on the head with a club. It helped to give Young Ho Ko a, a chance at a, a game winner. Oh, it was 15 extra yards. Um, it was unbelievable. That game was a hot mess, to say the least. Oh, my god! It gosh. was a hot mess somehow – New Orleans wins the thing. But that game was scrambled eggs with no, with no bacon. It was unbelievable. And it was and all in week one. And it was a roller coaster of some outstanding football and some, like we said, uh, just, you know, drunken mess. It the, was uh, crazy. The Chiefs lumped up the Arizona Cardinals. The game at one point was 37-7 to before the ultimate final of 44-21. The Cardinals weren't even in the building. I mean, you're watching this thing going, are these guys even – is there a team here playing the Chiefs? Anyone? Yeah, it was it was, um, it was, was awful. And Vance Joseph – And defend- the two touchdowns – it was it was garb- two garbage touchdowns by Arizona. Oh, it wasn't even that and close. Even, and even after the Chiefs shut it off, they scored a touchdown. Yeah. The, the Chiefs scored a touchdown after they'd like, okay, we're done here. You know, it's like, oh, you know what? Oh, okay. Well, all right. We'll take this touchdown too. It was, it was unbelievable how bad the Cardinals looked. Mahomes, thirty of thirty-nine, three hundred sixty yards and five touchdowns. Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals, decided he was going to blitz the best quarterback in the history of football against the blitz more than fifty percent of his dropbacks, and he ate them alive. Now. The only reason I can think that Van Joseph blitzed Mahomes that much was because his corners are horrible. If you remember late in the preseason, the, the Cardinals traded for Trayvon Mullen of the Raiders. He doesn't, he's not even among their top three corners. Marco Wilson, Byron Murphy, Jace Whitaker, those are their top three corners. And if you haven't heard of them, you know why. Because those guys, the, I you mean. You could have watched the whole game yesterday and you still wouldn't have heard of them. That was a whole loaf of burnt toast out there. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was rough. The Cardinals looked like a matador because it was Ole all day in the passing game. Holy mackerel. Like, it was like you had, you, had, you might as well have had department store mannequins back there. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Who don't move. They were rough. It was rough. Rough day for the Cardinals. Couldn't they? Oh, and then the worst part, Steve, after the game, Cliff Kingsbury, head coach of the Cardinals, he says, we have to take a look at our practice habits. (laughs) So 
it wasn't just how good the Chiefs were. It's basically the head coach of the Cardinals in week one saying, we got to look at our practice habits, basically accosting the players for half-assing it through the week. In week one! That's rough. They got annihilated. They weren't even competitive. And I realize they're playing the Chiefs uh, a perennial AFC power. I understand it. But you didn't even look like you belonged in the building. <sighs> yeah, they got run out. This is, and, I, and I'll say this, too. When we were in the run-up to the Bills-Rams game, two good football teams, former world champions, Super Bowl favorites, all that, yada, yada, yada. On the run-up, we knew, and some of the cooler heads, and we did it ourselves when we were – you know, when we weren't frothing at the mouth to watch this game, we said, listen, this is just one game. Even if the Bills yeah. lose, there's a lot of game time to recover. There's, there's, w- there was, it was going to be overreaction. overreaction and maybe we're, we're victims of this a maybe little we're bit doing today. That a little now, but, but I'm telling you what, there's no overreacting to some of the, the bad football that went on. This, they were bad. Right. Some of these teams were bad. Yeah. And some of, them were, some of them played well. Some of them were really good. The Giants escaped Tennessee with a that was a hard fought football game between two teams that you know that has some aspirations of the Giants trying to get out and trying to get respectable in the NFC East. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys did not look good last night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, and then Dak Prescott and Dak Prescott's out for eight weeks with a thumb injury. They didn't so, look good up to that point even. Right, but here is the problem. Okay, so you say. Why did the Bengals lose a game they probably shouldn't have to the Steelers? Because they couldn't protect Joe Burrow, led to three interceptions, extra chances for the Steelers, and then some foolish clock management at the yeah. end of the game. Why did the um, why did the who, what's, what's the game I'm trying to think of now? Oh, I was gonna. We'll get to it later. Patriots, Dolphins in a second. Oh my gosh, that's a whole another conversation altogether. Um, the Chiefs, good protection for Patrick Mahomes, even in the face of blitzes, and the guy throws for 360 yards and five touchdowns because the line play is solid. Right. Um, Coach teams- McDermott says it all the time. It starts up front, and it did. That's why the that's why the Bills dominated the Rams. They own the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They did not let Aaron Donald take over the game uh, on their offensive line, and their defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage to the tune of seven sacks and 15 quarterback hits on 41 dropbacks by Matthew Stafford. You can't win as an offense when you're facing that kind of pressure. Right. Um, We saw some of that in the Giants-Tennessee game. The Giants uh, had trouble protecting Daniel Jones, so they said, well, screw it. We're just going to run the hell out of the ball. And Saquon Barkley had a day. Right. He had a day. So, Yeah. And congrats to Brian Dable getting his first win as a head coach. He was moving and grooving in the locker room with his teammates after the game. Yeah, got a big uh, head, got a big back page tabloid after deciding to go for two at the end of the game, um, where uh, the New York Post decided to uh, make a play off of his surname uh, for his gutsy call, Dayballs of Steel. <laughs> Coach's gutsy two-point call and Saquon's monster day sparked the Giants in a shocker. Um, Steve, I know you and I talked about this. We're really expecting the Titans to kind of take a step back. That's the Colts' division to lose. 
And unfortunately, the Colts didn't post a win either. They tied. Yeah, this the was, Houston Texans. There were more games. There were more games decided on kicks in the last minute or two minutes of the game than there has been in, uh, I mean, over a decade. Uh, I think some. I saw the the statistic. A lot of games decided. You know, Browns by two, uh, Steelers by three. That we just went over. The Colts and Texans tied. The Eagles Lions three point game. Uh, the uh, uh, 21-20, the Giants, and a missed field goal is what gave them the win. Uh, the Raiders had a chance late to win against the Chargers. It was a pretty good weekend of games, very close games, all over, not all over. So five games. I'll tell you what, the, the, worst, the, the most boring game wasn't the Chiefs-Cardinals. The Miami Dolphins-New England Patriots game was a snooze fest. Woof. Woof with a capital W-O-O-F. Uh, and, I was, and it's delicious for Bills fans. Because the Patriots, I mean, they could not get in, get out of their own way offensively. Neither team could run the ball. Patriots, three and a half yards per carry. They're supposed to be a run-first offense. Dolphins, with, you know, the Mike Shanahan running game, 2.8 right. yards per carry. Why? Because both offensive lines are, are dumpster fires. Yeah, they can't struggling. do anything. They could not get it done. Trent Brown, the left tackle for the Patriots, he looks like he's 75 years old. <laughs> he, he aged 25 years in a single offseason. He yeah, can't that, even move. They were, and, and it's the thing, too. And I get it. It was That's a close left game. Tackle. It, was a, it wasn't even a close game. It was 17-0 at half for the Dolphins. The Patriots could not score. And so the pa- Dolphins aren't getting away from their run game. They're going to continue to pound it. And the Patriots wouldn't either. Because we we've seen that with Mac Jones back there, and I get it. We've we've come to be accustomed to, you know, Mahomes and Josh yeah, Allen and, and Justin Herbert and Rodgers and Brady and these guys. But that ball comes out of there. The quarterback, it just seems like they're throwing it. You know, it's like the difference between throwing a baseball, and it's just like you know you throw a fastball and it's and shooting a mortar shot. Every ball that comes out of there has got arc all over it. I mean, these Tua and Mac Jones have got to put oh, it's air like a, under it for an out route. It's like shooting a flare gun. That's exactly. What it, that's what, it looks, what like. it looks like. It looks like a flare gun. And just, I mean, they've, that, they've got to build their offense like that. Yeah. It's, I, I'm watching this game. I, I watched most of that game, and I couldn't help but think to myself, this is like a Bills game in 2010. Yeah. Like, you're watching quarterback play, you know, 2008, Trent Edwards. It's just, it's just not good enough. The ball just, just doesn't not good have enough. any velocity on it. Um, and the lines are substandard. Um, I mean, I to, I, they're going to win games, no question. The Dolphins. The Dolphins the are going to win they're games. They're going to win some games. They're going to win games like this. Their, their defense is th- good. They're going to. They're going to say, we get to 20 points and our defense locks it down. We can win 10 games that way. And, they, and yes, they're right. They're right. Um, and and they're Tua right. just has to be efficient and keep defenses honest. Tyreek Hill had eight catches for 94 yards. His longest play of the day, 26 yards. I think it's going to be – they're going to have to continue to work to scheme was, ways for him to have – more opportunities for yards after the catch. Because right. if they don't, he's not going to have 60-yard touchdowns. Right. He's going to have 25, 24-yard plays. He's which, got, you know. If he's got nine catches 
for, like he did on – and they're short plays, he's going to start taking hits. Well, he averaged 11 yards of reception. Right. So That's not ideal Tyreek Hill. He yeah. helped them win the game, right. but he wasn't like breakout – like, when he would play with the Chiefs and have a big day, it'd be like six for 140. They're going to have to feed him, no question about it. But you you think oh, about Oh, they were force-feeding him the ball. Right. Three of his catches, he had to climb the ladder and out-jump right. the DB they were for the ball. 50-50 balls. And, and uh, one byproduct of trying to feed Tyreek all those targets, it was two minutes left in the first half before Jalen Waddle even got a target. Yeah. That's a problem, in my opinion. Waddle's a really good player. And so is Tyreek. You got to find a way to get Waddle involved. I, they, I just, oh, right. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. I mean, yeah. Is this overreaction Monday after one week? Yes. Um, McDaniel made a wise fourth down call. It was fourth and seven at the Patriots' forty-two yard line. End of the half. You're in no man's land there. Go for it's, it. It's silly to punt there with 31 seconds left in the half. And you're getting the ball to start the second half. So the risk is minimal there. Go for it. They get a crossing route to Jalen Waddle, 42-yard touchdown. You basically yes. put the game to bed right there at halftime, 17 right. nothing, because New England was doing zero on offense. Okay? Zero. So here it is. Belichick, after the game, in talking about his offense, says, oh, we had a lot of opportunities. We left out there. Uh, we got into uh, Miami territory on five of our nine possessions, which is true. Technically. But your first possession, you get to the 22-yard line, you throw an interception. And then after that, yes, you got into Miami territory four of your last eight possessions, but you didn't crack the 40-yard line on three of those four. Right. Like, you weren't even in field goal range on three of the four times you got over midfield. Right. They Both. cannot run the ball. Their offensive line is not good enough to run the football. And newsflash, the Miami offensive line isn't good enough to run the football either. Yeah. Not after one week. Now, maybe those – we know New England teams typically get better in November and December. Will the Dolphins as well? Because I'm telling you right now, man, Patriots. Dolphins got to play the Ravens this week. Right. Patriots had 193 passing yards, uh, got sacked twice. Dolphins got sacked three times, uh, 21 of 30. Two or through for 270. Right. But yes. I think his average yards per attempt were very low. Um, net, his net passing yard, yes. He threw for 270s. Net passing yards were 242. Uh, average per pass attempt was 6.7. So that yeah. was pretty good. But That's good for him. Yeah, it was. And the best stat of the day, though, in that matchup, Tua is now 4-0 against the Patriots in his oh career. <laughs> he is the only quarterback to remain undefeated in at least four starts against New England in the Belichick era. He's got their number. <laughs> I love that. That is, you know, think about that. <laughs> Tua. Oh, I love it. Tua. And Miami has won eight of their last 11 against the Patriots in Miami. Yeah. They can't win down there. Yeah. Even when they were good, they couldn't win down there. You had that it's ridiculous, nine, no, it's like, nine six of 11, lateral isn't it? Game. Isn't it nine of 11? 
I, I don't remember. It was seven I, yeah. of nine, eight of ten, eight of eleven, whatever. They and had I, trouble winning. Even down the, even the miracle in Miami when they had the the lateral. Seven lateral the, game, oh my gosh! Thirty-one thirty. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was spectacular. But yeah, you can just rub that on your face. That's so. It tastes so good. <laughs> Tua is the guy who's undefeated against Bill Belichick. Around not, the not NFL. Not Rodgers, not any of those other guys. Yeah. Oh Around God. the NFL is presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Um, and that's probably all you need to know. Justin Jefferson had a day in Minnesota. 184 yards. Yes. Bikes throttle the Packers 23-7. to Another team that doesn't play in the preseason. How'd right. that go? Um, the other thing about the, the, uh, and did you see Rogers after the game? Uh, more and more, I'm growing to dislike that guy. <laughs> I mean, really just, well, we, you know, if you, if you block, we didn't block it up, right. What are we supposed to do? And then, and then he backhandedly says, oh, I'm included in that, you know, dumb play. I threw a pick. It was a dumb decision. Okay, so he does blame himself a little bit, but he wasn't afraid to well, throw people under the bus. Here's the thing about – they have put – the only team in NFL history are the Packers to put together back-to-back 13-win season. They've done that two of the last three years yeah. – or each of the last two years. And That's not happening this year. Yeah. There's, there's a, a talent. There's a, reason, there. there's a reason nobody's done that twice, and there's a reason they ain't going to do it a third time. It's hard to maintain that. Yeah. And this is just, you know, having him start to talk like that week one yeah, is, you know, it's a wake-up call. Zadarius Smith, who left Green Bay in free agency because they could not pay everybody. Sure. Um, had a day for Minnesota yesterday. Was instrumental in the defensive effort. Sacked uh, Aaron Rodgers um, and was part of that pass pressure effort yesterday. So, yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. One last note. Uh, Injury-wise, concerning the Steelers, T.J. Watt comes to the sideline um, after taking Burrow down and says, you can read his lips as he's coming to the sideline, he says, I tore my pec. Now, they're having MRIs to determine if it is, in fact, torn. Um, I don't know if the news has come down yet. That was the the assumption. If it's a torn pec, you're not going to see that guy in week five against the Bills. That's a huge loss for them. That's a gigantic, yeah. cavernous like hole a, in their defensive lineup. Because as you <clears> said earlier, he was wrecking. He was them. changing the face of that game. He he had interception, huge tackles for loss, a sack right there that you see. He was all over the field in that game and was making a difference. There's 16 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati's going in to score, and you know he comes off the field. Uh, that's a huge loss at a time, you know, right at the point of his career right. as well, where that, that but, he's a, a candidate for a defensive player of the year. Yeah. Well, he was defensive player of the year last year. Right. And um, he's, he's but, and he was wrecking this game. And he's a big reason why the Steelers have led the league in sacks each of the last two years. This guy tears his pack. I mean, you're not going to see him until week 14. Yeah. he's. Remember how long John Feliciano was out? He tore it in the preseason. Takes forever. Um, Soft tissue, and if they tear it, maybe a – I mean, you look at this. Look so at these plays. I, I think odds at. are I mean, very good that he is not going to be available for the Steelers in Week Five against the Bills. And you say, well, how big a deal is that? Pretty big. That guy deal. was instrumental in the reason the Bills lost in Week One last year because their five couldn't block the Steelers' four. That's right. 
They were only rushing four guys, dropping seven, and the Steelers upset the Bills in week one last year due mainly to the exploits of T.J. Watt. He doesn't play in that week five game. Major advantage to the Bills. Absolutely. Um, that's, so we'll that's have to keep our eye them. on that to see what the prognosis is in terms of the timetable on how long he'll be out. But I think it's a pretty safe assumption, if the peck is in fact torn, that he will not play in that October 9th Week 5 game against the Bills. Huge, huge loss for them. Uh, the Ravens lost their starting left tackle, Jawan James. Went out with a torn Achilles yesterday. So he's done for the year. So the injury pile up again, starting early for the Baltimore Ravens, and they better hope that it does not continue because that completely derailed their season last year. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Steve, but in the Bucks cowboys game, Dak Prescott wasn't the only injury of note in that game. Obviously, it's a huge injury. He's out six to eight weeks with a thumb injury that requires surgery um, on his throwing hand. But we remember... Chris Godwin, the wide receiver for the Bucks, Steve, he tore his ACL two weeks after Tredavious White tore his ACL. He did right. it in week 15, actually three weeks after. Right. Week 15 last year, Chris Godwin tears his ACL. He's already back playing in week one. Meanwhile, Tredavious White is on reserve PUP, won't see the field for at least the first four weeks. Godwin plays... Week one and pulls his hamstring. They're worried it is torn, not just pulled. Um, and you have to wonder, you know, about the compensation kind of things. If you come back too soon from an ACL injury, the Bills decide to err on the side of caution. They're going to ease Tredavious, give right. Tredavious White an extra month to come back. And he tore his ACL three weeks earlier. Than yeah, Chris Godwin hard to, did. Every case make, is different. I know, different. but and it you're makes right. you wonder. It, it makes does. You it makes you wonder. And well, it's easy to say that now because Tre'Davious is, you know, still rehabbing um, and waiting his chance to get out there. And Godwin comes back and it's has a soft tissue injury. That's the problem with these guys. They're they get to, you know, give me back in the old days, you know. You get these guys back, and the guys that I came in, the old guys when I came into the league, they were, you know, you still had like a half a dozen. Listen, when I came into the league in the mid-'80s, mm. you still had a handful of guys, not many, but a handful, who were smoking lung darts at halftime. They'd go into the shower, have a, cup, have a cigarette at halftime. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was a different world. Right. But nowadays, these guys are so finely tuned. They're they're way they're light years beyond those guys, light years. But the ripple effect is the same. When you come back from an injury, it's not just the injury that you're worried about. It's your body's ability to overcome, and the ripple effects of compensating for where you were and how normal you were 12 months ago compared to your normal now and for the rest of your life. The ACL injury for these guys is it makes you different. Your never your knee is not the same. It's healthy and sturdy, but it is not normal like it was for the first twenty something years of your life before it was injured. So they come back here, and then finally, when they get into a game for the first time, all the adrenaline and you're now you're back to a hundred. You never 
You're going 100 miles an you hour. You go 100% for the first time, really, really 100%, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of that. And you, your body goes, okay, and now it's like pop. Yeah. It's not right. It's, and I can, you can say what you want about, hey, maybe whatever, it, and it's hydration, it's all of that stuff. Yeah. These guys are going 100%, all systems go for the first time since they got injured. Yeah. When their adrenaline's pumping and they don't think about their injury for the first time, maybe, and snappo, something else, you know, on the other side of the machine goes, goes haywire. Yeah. It, it happens. Godwin's going to – if you tear a hammy, yeah, it's they a don't, month. They don't know it's torn, but they're wondering if it is. It's at least pulled. So, I mean, that for a receiver, that's at least two weeks. If it's a grade one strain, if it's, if it's, it's a, at least two weeks. If it's minor, weeks. it's two weeks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it's major, it's a month. Right. And then you're back in the same then boat you're that back the Bills the same, are yeah. with Tradavius White. Who, right. You know, you err on the side of caution. You reserve PUP him. Give him another month to kind of ramp up. You know, and we talked about this too, and somebody reminded me on our timeline. You know, the 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 Bengals actually won the game with a touchdown catch that was ruled out of bounds and short of the line, short of the goal line. When on replay, there's no, there was a thousand percent positive. All you had to do is challenge it. All you had to do is challenge it. Chase gets in. He's got his foot on the line, and the guy marks him like a half yard short. Yeah, it's where the ball is. What is that guy doing? And he's got it in his tucked on his right side. With puts his, it, puts it around the pylon. Like around the pylon. All you had to do is, and and they didn't challenge it. Then they take a two yard loss on second down, on first down. Oh I my mean, gosh! This I he, can't they even win watch it. right here. Boom! Touchdown. Reach around win. the pylon. He's dragging his foot. The ball is going out of bounds over the top or inside the pylon of the end zone. And the guy calls it short of the end zone. All you got to do is just throw the red flag. Say, you know, hey, by the way, you might want to recheck was that. Was that in the final two minutes, though? Yes, it was. So that's a booth review, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. You can't challenge in the final two it's, minutes. It's the booth no, review. No, it's 2.53 left. Okay. It's two fit, so it's outside the booth review. All right. Otherwise, that would have been called a touchdown from upstairs. Oh, well. That, you win. You're 0-1. See you, you next week. Boom. Win. Sorry about Touchdown. that. Thanks, guys. And they'll, I'm get a, saying, they'll get a letter of now apology. Now, listen, after, after, all the zaniness, <laughs> after all the zaniness that happened, there's two minutes, less, just <laughs> under three minutes to go in the game with all the zaniness, maybe that Steelers, something happens, they can still get back in it. But, oh, my goodness. All right, we got to take a break. What we want to know from you is what were your biggest takeaways from Sunday's Week 1 action around the NFL? Were you laughing at the rest of the AFC East? Are you not even worried? about any challengers for the Bills. What about those Chiefs? Have they given you pause? Because it doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Let us know at 803-0551-888-550-2550. Steve and I back with more, including our weekly visit from Mike Robb in the second hour of the show here on a three-hour Buffalo Football Monday edition of One Bills Live. We'll see you in a minute. All right, welcome back to a Buffalo Football Monday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. Plenty to get to in our rehash of the Bills game. Offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey addressed the media this morning. We'll have some of his comments coming your way a little bit later in the show. Uh, We have our weekly appearance by NFL Network's resident Bills Mafia member, Michael Robinson. Hour number three. 
Bills Radio Network color commentator Eric Wood joins us to give his thoughts on the kickoff game that the Bills won in resounding fashion, 31-10, to despite having four turnovers. Four turnovers, and they won by three touchdowns. That's scary. That's yeah, scary. It's pretty scary. Against the defending Super Bowl champs. Yeah! But we want to know from you, after enjoying the Thursday night kickoff game and then being able to relax and watch an entire weekend of football, what were your biggest takeaways from Sunday's week one action around the NFL? And we go to the phones, and leading us off today is Mike in Atlanta. Mike, what do you have for us? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, gentlemen. Great way to start the season for us. Oh, yeah. Boy, it was just, just uh, before I get to games, real quick, just a couple points on the offensive line. Of course, I, I agree. You dominate the line. And, you know, of course, the Bills are doing a great job uh, starting off against a uh, pretty good defense. But also on the defensive line, how do you make your secondary better when you have a couple of rookies? You don't let the quarterback have more than a split second to take a look downfield and then he's sacked. That's the way you help your, your, your secondary. I, you know, that's my feeling. Uh, <clears throat> as far as – the games on Sunday, uh, two, two things. Uh, with the Miami game, you look at uh, uh, Tua's uh, completion percentage and his yards thrown. Well, I watched that game with my nephew. He's a big uh, a Dolphins fan, so I watched it with him. And it's like, you know, two-thirds of the, of the yards of that passing was yards after the catch. I mean, that guy had trouble throwing. You know, he had guys when he had a guy open, he missed. Uh, it was it was pretty putrid. So go, go back and look at his first pass of the game, Mike. Did you watch that? Yeah. It was oh, a yeah, bounce sure. pass. It's like who was that too? It was like five <laughs> yards short. It was more so, than five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being generous, but uh, so I'm not concerned about that, especially with Bills with the Bills defense. But again, as long as they you know stay focused and don't take anybody for granted, because we know what happens yeah. when you look back against Jacksonville, you cannot take anybody for granted. And one last thing, I just want your guys' thoughts. If, if Dayball, I'm going for two. If you think that in his mind there was any chance that he was thinking about the, uh, the KC game when they, they could have gone for two in that game. Yeah, granted, it would have been, you know, win or lose. But if he's thinking, you know, around the road, we're in a hostile environment. If we tie it up and go in overtime, maybe our offense doesn't even touch the ball. You know, just looking at all the circumstances saying, hey, this is our best chance to win right now. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what he was thinking. Well, Mike. plus I mean, he knew, too, he's, he's ta- it's a different scenario week one than it is week 19. Right. Um, it is win or go home. And week one, when you're taking over a team that's rebuilding, you got it's more about building a culture than it yeah, is you winning got nothing that to specific lose. game. And even if you don't get it, if you're in the press conference after the game, you say to, you you tell the media, you say, "I'm trying to show this team we're good enough to win football games like that. We didn't today, but if I'm put in that position again, I'm doing it again because right. I believe these guys are going to get it." Think about Frank Reich did it two years ago with the Indianapolis Colts. He did the exact same thing and came up short, but he was like, "I'm going to do it again." That's that's the way these you got to do that when you want to give your players the confidence and and the belief in themselves, and it starts with having a coach that believes in them. So, and and this thing too, Mike, about Tua and the yards after catch, two thirds of them being yards after catch. That's not luck. That's not that's not like a knock on Tua. That's a that's a positive for their offense. That well, yeah, getting yards after catch is a is a planned. 
part of their offense. So give them because kudos they're going to need it. Yeah, give them give them kudos for that. They they got a guy that they need to add yards onto those throws. So they design an offense that'll that'll do that. And and kudos to them for being able to do it. So that's the way. Um, I'm not. I don't hold that against Tua. I give that to Mike McDonald and, and his ability McDaniel, to yeah. McDaniel and and their ability to get that done. That's a plus for them. Not a not something that you should criticize them for. Let's go back to the phones and to Ray in Williamsville next. What do you got for us, Ray? Well, I'd like to comment on the announcers in the Steelers-Cincy game when that Cincy quarterback fumbled and the guy picked it up and started to run with it. I mean, they should have known right off the top. Can't you can't advance. Yeah. Right, exactly. And the fact that the announcers didn't know that tells me they don't even know the rules. I yeah, mean, yeah. if you have announcers that are going to be broadcasting the game to knowledgeable fans like the ones here in Buffalo that still believe Steve should be in the Hall of Fame, uh, you have to come up with something more. And Chris Collinsworth is an embarrassment. I'll let it go at that. I've said my frustration part. I'll let you guys comment. Fair enough, Ray. Yeah, Thanks well, for the call. Yeah, um, I'll just make a note. Chris Collinsworth wasn't doing the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game. But, yeah, no. you're, you're – um, that was uh, Ian Eagle and uh, Charles, Davis. Charles Davis. That's it's a hard one to remember because in it was over overtime and it was final two minutes of overtime. Right, final two minutes of overtime. Or so you're not really thinking regular... about that in an overtime situation. Right. So I can understand why it may have been overlooked. You're in the final two minutes of regulation as an announcer. That is top of mind that you're thinking if there happens to be a fumble here, it can only be advanced by the person that fumbles it not another player, which proved to be a costly play for the Bengals because, yes, while it was good that another player on the Bengals scooped up the loose ball to preserve possession, by picking that ball up back there, you lose yardage on the play. Or no, does it go back to the original no, spot? It goes no. back to the original spot yeah. where the ball was lost. Right. It That's goes, where it goes. It might go back to the point of recovery. Um. I'm going to go back and look at that because I can't remember it, how that play yeah, shook and, out. And we're, we're, we're now we're struggling with the rule as well. But the problem is for the Bengals, they didn't call the play dead either, I don't think. He kept running, and the officials didn't blow it dead either. So they were hesitant on that rule as well, if I remember right. Uh, nevertheless, the play also, because it's a running play, or <laughs> the clock is running. So all of that, that – in the final two minutes, that all comes into play there where it's all critical in the final two minutes of overtime. Um, so you're right. It goes back Ray. It, it, to the point of recovery. Right. So even though it can't be advanced, that's why it can't be advanced, you can recover it and keep possession, but you're going to lose the yardage and if the, the ball goes backwards and the time off the clock. And the clock keeps running because it's a running play. <clears throat> so so he should have recovered pass. the ball and just sat down to preserve time on the clock. Right. Exactly. Preserve possession, get the ball, sit down, let somebody tap you down to stop the clock. Instead, he picked it up and ran with it. And I don't know that the clock would have stopped. Yeah. Because he ran a good way. I mean, he got past the original line of scrimmage and got about four yards. Yeah, that's there's a lot in that play, no question, mm -hmm. because the players are keeping playing, and it's up to the officials to snap to and say, help, and blow that play dead yeah. immediately. I don't think they did. That's why the guy was running, because the whistle hadn't blown. The whistle should have blown on recovery. And because it didn't, 
you know, everybody keeps playing. Yeah. Since the Bills played Thursday night, we want your biggest takeaways from Sunday's Week 1 action. We'll get to some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet here next on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Tickets? Check. Face paint? Check. Your favorite apple with the epic crunch? Almost. Snapdragon apples will be rushing into a Wegmans near you soon. Snapdragon apples. The official apple of the Buffalo Bills. We got an official apple now, Steve. I'm liking it. It's pretty cool. I haven't Can't even wait till one. they get well, they haven't gotten here yet. They're coming um in October. That's when they're harvested, apparently. They're pretty they're harvested late in the game. Late in the late in the summer, early in the fall. Yeah. All right. So uh, we got to wait. They'll be there soon, though. We'll we'll be keeping an eye out. We're gonna have. Yeah. I will expect. I will expect Snapdragon apples in our studio at some point. I I don't think you need to worry about that. I think they will be here in plentiful supply. Not that I. There will not be supply chain issues. Not that I. Yeah. Not that I. Snapdragon apples. Not that I need a crowbar to get in my wallet and buy a Snapdragon. I'm just that's saying. Right. I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm will, that, perfectly willing to do that. Is that that thing that moths fly out of every? Per- that's right. I'm perfectly willing. <laughs> I'm perfectly willing to shell out whatever it takes to buy a Snapdragon just to try one. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, a, you know, it's not like I won't try one unless it's free. I'm just saying. Biggest takeaways from Sunday's Week One action. We want to know what you felt about Week One games that did not include the Buffalo Bills, who obviously played last Thursday night. We go to the Tweet Sheet for answers. And Tweet Sheet is always brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Max leads us off and says, the Patriots are no longer scary in any way, shape, or form. The Chiefs still are, as long as Mahomes is the QB, apparently. The Chargers are legit, but not a team I'd be scared for the Bills to play down the stretch. Bengals won't make it nearly as far this year. What do you think of those AFC assessments by Max? Yeah, Patriots I, aren't scary. After week one, that's what it looks like. We'll see what happens after week two and yeah. after week seven and after week nine and after week 11 because everything can change, yeah. so we'll see. But And the Bengals are very talented. Their defense was really legit yesterday. Uh, just, you know, Despite the fact that they got beat, it was late decision-making and clock management that really cost them the victory. It, was a, it would have been a close victory, no question. They should have won, won that game. They should have won that game. Um, the Chargers had a nice performance. They let Las Vegas climb back into the game, but much like the Bills saw a reason to get a premier pass rusher to add to their defensive front, they traded for Khalil Mack in the offseason. The guy made a play at the end of the game. He was a closer, got a key takedown at the end of the game and preserve the victory for the Chargers over the Raiders. 24-19, I believe, was the final. And Justin Herbert continues to ascend. Another three three passing touchdowns, He's... over 275 yards. And I think he is closing in on Dan Marino for the most three-touchdown, 275-yard-plus passing games in his first three seasons. Let me say this. If you watch the Chargers play at all, to me, 
Herbert is the closest thing to Josh throwing the football. Yeah. He's got a gun. Uh, he can sling it. And I so I think, you know, if you're looking for a guy like that's why I think Justin Herbert is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, he has got a he's got a pipe, man. That guy can throw it. So you're going to, you know, he's going to they're going to be a problem no matter what because he's going to give them that chance. Yeah. Uh, you watch them play. I think they're going to be in the conversation out there yes. in the West. I pick them to be the wild card team in the AFC West. I still think the They've Chiefs got are going to win shot. the division. They're the only team, I think, in the West that's got a shot at the Chiefs. I don't think the Raiders do, and I don't think the Denver is. I think the Chargers have got a shot at beating Kansas City. Um, we'll see about you know what happens. I mean, certainly it's a competitive division, but Herbert's a different dude. He's yeah. not as athletic, and he doesn't run the ball as well as Josh. He runs fast. He just doesn't run it as often. And he's not as physical. Not as physical. And not, he's not yeah, he's as not willing as to. Thick. Right. He's not as so, tall and as thick. But he's 6'5". I mean, he's, a, he's yeah. a big dude. So, But he can sling it. So those guys are a problem. I, th- I still think Baltimore's going to be a problem. All of that stuff. So there's some teams out there that even after week one, you can say, yeah, they, they didn't disprove anything I thought about yeah. them. That, the Chargers are one of those teams. Break time for us here because when we come back, it's our weekly visit from NFL Network analyst Michael Robinson, resident Bills Mafia member at the Network Studios. He had an awful lot to say on NFL Network after that Bills 31-10 victory over the Rams in the kickoff game. He joins us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Ah, such a glorious evening. Such a glorious evening. The Buffalo Bills won 31 to 10. No. Beat the hell out of the defending hey, hey, champ. Hey, hey, they didn't win. That's an old-fashioned molly whopper. An old-fashioned molly whopper. You heard it from the future Hall of Famer Steve Smith. A future Molly future Hall of Famer calls it an old-fashioned molly whopping. My goodness. Well, it is that time for us to welcome in our weekly guest from NFL Network. It is NFL Network analyst Michael Robinson, resident Bills Mafia member at the network, and uh, a lot to be happy about. It wasn't airtight perfect, but it was pretty darn dominant nonetheless by the Bills uh, in week one there on the, against the defending Super Bowl champs. Hi, huh, Mike? Yeah, guys, very much dominant. I mean, I saw everything I needed to see. I saw this Bills team go through some adversity. I saw this Bills team respond to adversity. I saw this Bills team uh, lead. I saw this Bills team have success. Um, They averaged four yards in the rushing game. They ran for over 100 yards. And the 2022 MVP, yes, I'm going to continue to call it, Josh Allen, had a day. And, you know, 26 for 31, 297 yards. He was sacked two times, three touchdowns, two interceptions, one of the interceptions I'll give to Josh Allen, the other I'll say the wide receiver kind of didn't hold on to the football. And he, again, that second uh, interception was a little bit late. It was on Josh Allen. But what I needed to see was Josh take that next step. And I've seen him take it. And this is what I mean by this, guys. 
after a bad play, does Josh Allen line up and try to win the game with one big pass the very next play? That wasn't the Josh Allen I saw uh, last Thursday night. The Josh Allen that I saw last Thursday night took what the defense gave him. He made plays when he needed to make plays. He took sacks when he needed to take sacks. And I know every, all of our listeners out there are saying, Mike, what are you talking about needing to take sacks? Sometimes a sack is the lesser of the evils, okay? Would you like him to take a sack or would you like him to try to force the ball and possibly have it turned over? So, again, just looking at what I've seen out of Josh Allen, this defense, I thought the defensive tackles played tremendously, whether it was Settle, Daquan Jones, um, uh, Phillips, Everybody in the defensive tackle meeting room uh, played their tails off and provided one-on-one opportunities for Von Miller and those pass rushers. Um, I saw Again, I saw everything I needed to see out of this team. AFC, you are officially on notice. The Buffalo Bills are here. Yeah, one of the things about it, we, this game was a little bit typical for Bills fans in that Josh kind of carried it. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. even late in the game, we saw, and as long as he, uh, and this is a big caveat, if, as long as Josh Allen stays healthy, he's a dominant player. Uh, certainly late in the game, nobody wants to see him, you know, running the quarterback option and keeping the ball and taking hits the way he did. But man, oh man, it's hard to call him. It's hard to call him out on that when he gets up and he's laughing and having fun and he's throwing guys off at the sidelines with stiff arms, and all that stuff's going on. When the guy is on, he is really, really tough to beat, and that's kind of where this Bills team out is now. And I'm not saying because of the weapons and because of the defense that it's all on Josh. Like they go as Josh Allen goes, but man, oh man, it's hard to come up with a comparison for how well he's playing when he's on. Man, I, again, and I get I get sometimes killed at my network. Sometimes I get killed on social media for saying Josh Allen is QB1 in the National Football League. He's the, he has all the tools. Um, I'm seeing him get more experience. I'm seeing him use that experiential knowledge to continue to read defenses, right? You talk about him taking those hits. Obviously, none of us like to see our MVP take those hits. But at the end of the day, I, what I've noticed with Josh Allen getting hit throughout uh, last week on last Thursday night, He's um, getting hit a little bit differently, right? He, especially in the pocket, he's letting his body go limp a little bit, kind of, kind of what Tom Brady does when he gets hit in the pocket. And then when you have a big, strong guy like Josh Allen, stiff arm and guys, you know, t- to the ground like a running back, like a Derrick Henry, it gets your entire team, it gets your fan base, and even the defense fired up. So yeah, Josh, when you're on, you cannot be stopped. Yeah, that's why I called him an ass-kicking ninja this week because that's what he was. <laughs> like he's just he's like a ninja out there. Yeah. Um, Let's take the offensive performance a step further here, Mike. Third down, they're 9 of 10. They scored three of their touchdowns on third down plays, including that great fake to Gabe Davis when they ran 22 personnel and had the Rams defense going all the way, flowing in one direction. The play went the other way. But 9 of 10 on third down, three of their touchdowns on third down, and three of their biggest plays in the game came on third down. The 26-yard touchdown to Davis, the 47-yarder to Davis down the middle on the deep post, and the 53-yard touchdown to Diggs. All of them came on third down. What does that say about what was going on on third down in the game that led to those kinds of opportunities and success? A couple of different things. Well, first and foremost, that's why Josh Allen is one of the highest-paid quarterbacks. In the National Football League, quarterbacks are paid to make plays on the money down, and that is third down. And to go 90%, that's almost uncalled. That's almost, you know, 
you almost never see that in, in today's NFL with today's defenses and the way that they get after um, opposing offenses. So number one, at the end of the day, that, that's what Josh Allen does. That's what he's there for. Number two, I thought that the Rams defense, I thought they, they play some man on some of those third down opportunities. And so it provided some one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the outside and Josh Allen taking that next step in his development, stayed calm in the pocket. And you talked about that long, that deep pass to Gabriel Davis down the middle of the field, that deep post. I, there's not a lot of human beings walking this planet that can do that. The touch, the, you know, in past years, we've seen Josh Allen overthrow that pass by 20 yards just because he's such a big, strong um, football player. And he was getting blitzed at the time. Yeah. I mean, he had a five-man pressure going on during that play, and he stayed calm in the pocket as everything was caving in around him, and he made, a, 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 you know, a, a beautiful pass. To me, that's the next step with Josh Allen that he's that he's taken and he's definitely uh taking the ball and ran with it beautiful plays on third down um I thought it was uh Josh Allen and um uh, uh play caller give me the play caller oh, Ken, Dor uh, Ken Dorsey Ken Dorsey there you go Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey making plays on third down and um I thought they were outperforming the Rams defense on third one down. last that's why you get a nine yeah one last thing about third down Mike we we found out after the game from Diggs that the 53-yard touchdown was drawn up in the dirt by Josh. He saw something from earlier in the game based on the personnel grouping that came out for the Rams pre-huddle pre and so basically just told Diggs, run down the field as far as you can. He also noticed that on that play, Aaron Donald was not on the field and he felt he would have enough time to roll out and buy some time to just chuck it down the field. Drawn up in the dirt. <laughs> That's playing football at a 400 level. I mean, I mean, seriously, that's that, that's kind of similar to when you hear stories of Brett Favre. I played with Leon Washington and, and he played with Brett Favre and he used to always tell me, man, Brett Favre would tell me when a guy was blitzing, if that's my guy blitzing, sometimes don't even block him. Just get out in the route and I'll throw it to you and we'll defeat the blitz that way. That's Josh and Steph having that chemistry. That's Josh having, you know, all that experience underneath his belt right now, reading the defense, reading all of his nonverbal communication skills. Um, yeah, man, it was beautiful. All right. So when uh, it's early, no question, we've got, we're starting to get to know these teams a little better than what we thought we did. Um, what about the LA Rams? I mean, the bills go into their, how they're raising the banner. There's a lot of hoopla going on. Uh, they're coming off a Super Bowl championship. They've got a good offense. Their defense is manned by some guys now and, but they don't play in the preseason. It was their first live action since the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I we were ready to, and we were couching ourselves here because we knew the Bills were a good team, and so were the Rams. You know, if they did, if the Bills lose this opening game, still a lot of time, they're still going to be a good football team. We tried not to overreact before we had a chance to overreact, <laughs> right? So now, you know, the Rams are now. How much in there? Uh, how much about the Rams in this game was? How much about this twenty-one point win is about the Rams and not the Bills? Yeah, that's a really good question because. Um, what I was saying before the game, and I, you know, I talked to some of the Rams players, I also talked to uh, some other guys in the National Football League, and you know, everybody's thing was, are the Rams still hungry? Right. You know, see, when you're not hungry anymore, you know, or when you're full, you're not hungry anymore, right? And, and, and you, you, you look at how they played, you look at how. Um, I don't think they matched the intensity of the Buffalo Bills on last Thursday night, right? And so it makes you wonder, are they satisfied? 
they have their world championship. They are in Hollywood, you know, you know, banners coming down, all this. And I think that they thought the Bills would be scared. I think that they thought the Bills would come in and kind of be overwhelmed by the atmosphere. But again, I, I said it last week and, I, and I'll repeat it again this week, guys. This Bills team reminds me so much of my 2013 Seattle Seahawks uh, football team. Uh, not in necessarily terms of the makeup of the team, but in terms of the attitude, the inter- in terms of how much the defense will hit you and stop you in the red zone, and uh, in terms of having a quarterback that can be creative and a quarterback that can just make plays out of the dirt, to use your own words. So I like this team, man. I like this team. And at the end of the day, they're going to win a lot of games. They're going to bully a lot of teams. Um but when you talk about the Los Angeles Rams, nobody can tell me that Matthew Stafford's arm isn't a little bit messed up. Steve Smith said it on the um, on our postgame coverage that he had a little bit of a noodle arm, right? Um, and it makes you wonder if that elbow injury is starting to rear its ugly head here early in the season for Matthew Stafford. So, Mike, I know you already mentioned the defensive tackles in this game, but the defensive line as a whole, I mean, Stafford drops back 41 times in this game. He is sacked or hit on 22 of them. I mean, more than half the game, he's got somebody in his lap. Um, obviously, that has an effect on a quarterback. But as as encouraging as the play of the defensive tackles were, you know, Jordan Phillips, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, and Ed Oliver before he went out with the ankle injury, the young pass rushers, along with Vaughn, you know, you got A.J. Epinesa, a sack and a half, four quarterback hits. Rousseau had a sack and a couple of pressures. Um, Boogie Basham tips a pass up in the air and intercepts it. Yep. I mean, those are their th- – Three draft picks over the last, you know, three years that they've invested in. It looks like those guys, the chickens are coming home to roost now, Mike. What does that mean going (laughs) forward for the pass rush besides Miller? Oh, man. Oh, man. It it means you got a rock star of a general manager in Brandon Bean. I mean, to be able to draft the right people, develop the guys that you draft, to have those guys be influential um, and wins. I mean, I can't. I can't say enough about it. The way that these guys dominated the line of scrimmage, and you mentioned all of the pass rushing. You mentioned how they um, attacked Matthew Stafford. Let's not forget these guys showed up in the run game as well. The mm-hmm. Rams didn't have over 100 yards rushing. I think they had less than four yards per carry. But you saw Gregory Russo screaming down the line of scrimmage, making tackles. You saw Von Miller. Now, and I made this uh, statement to some of the guys at NFL Network. Von Miller looks better in one game with the Buffalo Bills than I've seen him look at any point with the Rams <laughs> last year. And I, and I thought he had a really good playoff run uh, with the Rams as they went on to win the Super Bowl. So... Um, not only did they rush the passer, they played the run well, um, too. And, and and that's something that young defensive linemen, they don't always do well in the National Football League is playing the run. These guys showed up and played the run pretty well. And you look around the, the conference now, certainly the Bills, you know, it's hard to say they're not clicking on all cylinders, both sides of the football. Uh, even the fact that the Bills played a sixth-round rookie cornerback, started him, and then had him split reps with the first-round corner, uh, you've got you had who would last year going into last year was a backup cornerback playing cornerback number one on the far side with the two rookies on the other side. Uh, even so, uh, the Bills doing a really nice job defensively because of the dominance up front, no question. But you got a lot of teams in the AFC. The Chiefs still look like they're the team to beat. The Chargers had a tremendous game against the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders on the road in that division. We're going to get a chance to see the Broncos tonight. 
the Ravens seem to be back in the saddle once their injury-riddled season of 21 is behind them in the rearview mirror. Lamar comes on, plays well in a win. You know, what – you know, some of the other teams, the hierarchy of the AFC seems to be intact. Even even the Bengals, although the Bengals absolutely gave the game away to I'm go out to get to off. Give it to them. Right, yeah, just give it to them. <laughs> so, um, so what has anything changed coming into this season about who the contenders are in the AFC? No, I don't think so. Um, obviously, you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, I mean, you know, they played the Raiders. Justin Herbert, he's a rock star of a quarterback. They have a, a group of wide receivers. They got pass rushers. Um, when J.C. Jackson is healthy and he comes back, they're going to have a secondary that can lock people down. So I, I think the Chargers are definitely an early contender. But at the end of the day, I feel like I say the same thing about the Chargers for the last five years. Oh, they're a contender. Look at all this. Um, talent that they have. And at the end of the day, they're fighting for a playoff spot uh, week 16, week 17. So um, I still think um, judgment is still out there uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers. But I, to me, I would say the biggest threat to the Bills atop the AFC right now is, is Kansas City. It has to be. Um, when you lose a guy like Tyreek Hill, I thought it would have a tremendous, uh, profound effect on this Kansas City Chiefs offense. And what it did was it forced Pat, it forced Patrick Mahomes to go back to taking what the defense gives him, not necessarily throwing the ball deep every single play. That was one of the deals with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Andy Reid and this offense over the last couple of years. If you play two safeties high, right, and dare them to run the football, they won't run the football all game. They won't just take the underneath stuff. They're going to still try to push the ball downfield. Well, Week one, I saw Patrick Mahomes just take what the defense gives him, and that's scary to, to, to me being a Buffalo Bills fan, to me being a, you know, a fan that wants the Bills to get through the AFC just because if Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes can just take what the defense gives them all season, they're going to be there waiting uh, for the Bills at the end of the year. I, I think they're going to be one of the teams um, still standing in the AFC. The only issue is, guys, and I'll tell you this, I don't believe Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy have the patience to run the football against two safety high all game. I don't believe they have the patience to just dip and dunk the ball all the way down the football field. That's why I think eventually the Bills are going to get them. Last one I've got for you, Mike, concerns the recent movement in recent years to not play in the preseason, any starters, that is, coach's decision. Mm -hmm. The Rams, the Packers, the Cardinals – the 49ers all subscribe to that model. All three of them, all four of them laid an egg in week one. Do you think there is any movement back in the other direction to maybe play some guys even just a little bit in the preseason in light of how some of these week one performances went for the teams that haven't played their guys yet? Yeah, uh, I was one of those – when I played in the league, guys, I'm telling you a secret, I was one of those captains that whenever Pete Carroll or Mike Nolan or – Mike Singletary at the time with the 49ers, whenever they would come to me and ask me about um, practice and should we take the pads off? Should we allow the starters to play in preseason? I was always like, we need the reps, coach, let's go. And guys hated me for it. But it was always like my whole thinking was the only way you get better at playing football, especially live game reps type of football, is by playing live game reps type yeah. of football. Like, that's the only way to prepare for it. And people can sit here and say, oh, we, we do the um, we, we practice against another another organization. We do all of this and, and, you know, scrimmages and this. It's not a game. 
It is not a game. That's why you can see the Los Angeles Rams go up against the um, the, the Bengals in a, in a squad in a, in a scrimmage, and Aaron Donald's throwing a helmet. He couldn't do that in a real game because he'd be ejected and he'd lose money and all that. Those practices aren't real, and that's that's why you don't get your guys ready as much. To me, if I'm a head coach in the National Football League, all of my starters would get at least some play. And at the end of the day, if you're scared about getting hurt, if you're scared about your high-priced guys getting injured, then for real, are they really the guy that you want? If you're scared that they're them doing their job is going to get them hurt, why you sign them? You shouldn't have them anyway. Yeah. That's just my personal belief. But, yes, I think all guys should play at least a little bit in the preseason. I just wonder if yes. it'll change now. I wonder if some of these coaches will think differently. it be interesting yeah. to see. Going Last forward, one too. for me, Mike. Biggest surprise – of week one, what what are because uh, we had some we had some wonky games, wonky f- yeah. <laughs> funky games. What was the biggest surprise, either a player or what what stands out to you about week one uh, of the league this year? I can't believe we got a damn tie. Okay, <laughs> week one. I thought we, I thought right. we were going to have multiple ties, guys. <laughs> okay, right. Indianapolis against Houston. Now I I haven't watched that tape yet. They tied at twenty. I thought Matthew Matt Ryan would be the guy. You know what I'm saying? I thought he would be the guy to take him over the top and all of this. Then all of a sudden, Frank Wright decides to do some crazy stuff on the goal line and all of that. So I can't really tell whether this is the Indianapolis Colts not playing well enough or the Houston Texans going to be better than what we thought. But I was definitely surprised by that score. But another player I was surprised with, pleasantly surprised with, Saquon Barkley. Penn Stater, man, um, to see him go off like that, to see him have some breakout runs, to see him basically say, okay, team, jump on my big old wide back. Okay, I'm the most explosive player on this team, and I'm going to will you guys to a win. I still haven't seen Daniel Jones do that, but this past week I finally saw Saquon Barkley do that, and uh, it was definitely a pleasant surprise to see because I know this dude is a generational back. He just has to stay healthy. What would you think of Dable's moves in the locker room after the game? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Wow. Uh, This is a family family show. I'm not going to say anything what I really would say in a locker room, but I will say this. Dable, um, let's leave the dancing to the players. Okay, let's leave the dancing to the players. You just need to keep coaching, man. Yeah. It looked like he was having fun. He was having fun. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. He's a good dude. I was happy for him. All right, listen, thanks, Mike, Rob. We'll uh, catch up with you next week. Safe travels, all right? All right, that's real Mike Robinson joining us here, NFL Network analyst, as he will every week for the regular season, reviewing the Bills' performances with us each and every week, along with a a look around the league as well. Always good to catch up with him. We do want to get back to the phones because we want your week one thoughts besides the Bills' performance on Thursday night. What would you think of the stuff you saw from around the NFL this weekend? We go back to the phones and we go to Tom on the west side. Tom, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Good. Good. Uh, here, I think I got my speaker on. No, you're good. We hear you. Okay. Well, I can hear you better now. Okay. I got one of them hearing aid phones. Sorry. No problem. Uh, listen, I, I was thinking about Derek Carr and Devontae Adams because they were supposed to be the grand reunion, and they were supposed to have a breakout year just like Burroughs and Jamar Chase did. 
And I'll tell you, they look like Burrow and Jamar Chase in the preseason last year. Because mm. they came out and they did not play well. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders did climb back into the game late, and Devontae Adams was unquestionably a big part of that, Tom. He finished with 10 catches for 141 yards. Yeah, nobody's complaining about that. And I get what you mean, though. Sometimes when you watch games like that and you see, you know, you you expect Devontae Adams to Took him a while to warm up. It took him a while. I Devontae Adams was a great player in that game, and Carr knows it, but the fact that they couldn't get on the scoreboard as much as they did, they only scored 19 points, that's not enough. That's what you really want to see. You want to see the guys get in the end zone. Now, you know, yeah, moving yeah, they, the football around, it looks – and it's going to help. Statistically, it's great. They, you know, 10 catches for one buck 44 is big. And they targeted him. They targeted him 17 times, but he only got 10 receptions. You'd like to see him go a little higher percentage, yeah, a little more efficient. Percentage, yeah. So I think they might, and weirdly, they might need somebody other than, you know, they got Waller and Renfro. Renfro's the guy. I mean, he only got five targets. Their Renf- slot guy, yeah. Renfro usually gets double-digit targets. He got half of that. They need to do something about that. So I think you know, De- Devontae Adams is their number one guy. But Renfro, who got kind of demoted to the number two guy with the arrival of Devontae, they need to keep him involved. Um, well, he's a chain mover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stay on the field. Yeah. They. So I. I think that's it. They may be feeling that process out a little bit. Probably. And finding their their level. But they gotta, you know. Carr also threw three picks in the game. Let's not know, forget that. Right. So the, yeah, you got to get 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 rid of all that. But that's, that's what I see, too many picks and not enough spreading the football around so that when Devontae can still get 10 catches but for buck 44, but do it on 13 targets, not 17. Yeah. Do it on 12 or Adam's, 11. Adam's got almost half the targets in the game. Yeah. I mean, so 17 gotta, targets out of 37 pass attempts. Yeah, you got to give Renfro a chance to get involved and, of course, Darren Waller and all those guys. So, yeah, I, I think that's really where it comes down to. I mean, that's – it's a little bit top-heavy yeah. for a target ratio. Break time for us here. More of your phone calls when we come back. What were your takeaways from around the NFL week one? We want to know. 803-0550. Open line for you there. one 888 Tom and Lackawanna, Bucky and Amherst. We'll get to you next when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, right back we go to the phones here on One Bills Live and to Tom in Lackawanna we go. What do you got for us, Tom? Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. Good. Well, the Bills are finally going to do it this year, and the biggest reason is we no longer have a blimp that we have to listen to. (laughs) You guys got a real promotion. I'm very happy we don't have to listen to that either. So they're going to do it this year. We're going to stay healthy. And they're not only going to get to the Super Bowl, they're going to win it. But the biggest uh, thing I see in, the, in week one is it started about 15 years ago when Belichick, I don't know, maybe they won their first or second Super Bowl, and like three guys got hurt in the fourth game of the preseason. And then after that, nobody was playing anybody in the fourth game. Now they've gone down to three games, and all these coaches are afraid to play anybody anywhere. And the first three or four games, people are they're, they're not ready to play. They're not ready to hit. 
and they're getting hurt. So, so much for not playing people. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, Here's the, you know, Tom brought up an interesting part of that whole equation. Guys are getting hurt in week one because they're not calloused up enough by well, playing here, in the preseason. What do you make of that? There's, it's a it's a multi-layered question, no question. It's not just as easy as not playing them and they're going to be ready. And not, because here's the thing. Not only do they not play these guys in the preseason and then there are only three games. It used to be six games in the preseason. But there are only three games in the preseason. Guys don't want to play them and they want to, you know, and because they don't want them to get hurt. But here's the issue that is on top of that. Back in the day, it used to be not only did you hit during practice, you played, you had two a days, day after day after day after day after day after day. It was hitting in the morning or hitting in the, it was like passing game in the morning, hitting in the afternoon, passing game in the morning, hitting in the afternoon, pads, both practices every day, let's go. So then you go to the preseason games and they, they play, it's just a carryover the thing. Now they can't even wear pads for a practice like two days in a row yeah there's there's all kinds of player safety in the union so they don't hit in practice let alone play practice hard and they're only allowed i think in the course of the regular season 16 padded practices as one practice season. a week it's usually thursdays for most right teams. so you're going through a season where you're not allowed to hit in practice let alone play in preseason games where you're allowed to hit. So they get into – the only time you really hit live is in games in the regular season or perhaps in preseason games. That's the only time. That's the only time. Even in preseason uh, practices with another team, a joint practice with another team, you don't hit. It's a hard thud practice. Nobody goes to the ground. The coaches have the whistle. They blow it dead when they want to blow it dead. That kind of thing. So they, these guys never play full contact football until game day. And that's why I think we're seeing what we're seeing. I mean, look at it. Rams, Packers, Cardinals, 49ers. Those are the teams that sat there, guys, all preseason. The Packers looked awful against the Vikings. The Rams, you know what they looked like against the Bills. Cardinals, Got I mean, crushed. they laid an egg against the Chiefs. They were down 37-7. And the Niners lost to the Chicago Bears. In a rainstorm. But In still, a rainstorm. That's the thing. It's there ha coaches now, the biggest challenge they have is manufacturing ways to toughen their guys up, get some hitting in. I mean, can you imagine and, and here's the thing too. Now there are certain coaches who do it because they always do it and, and they're and they're entrenched or whatever. But coaches, can you imagine the how vilified they would be if, for instance, Brian Dable lost Saquon Barkley to injury because they were going live at practice. I mean, you're just not going to do it. So these coaches have to come up with ways to give their guys a chance yeah. to get ready to play hard football, full contact football, and not get them hurt, but get them ready to play that. So Mike Tom, I mean, Mike Tom said, listen, you can't fight if you don't spar. You know, you and there is some of that in there. And even the way the Steelers do it, or like, and or the Ravens, you pick the team you want. Even the way they're allowed to, the way they're allowed to practice, they're nothing like the way it was in the seventies, eighties, and even into the nineties. We it's, had two weeks of two a days. I know. So basically, now, to your point, the preseason is the only time to get game ready yeah. in a game-like fashion. I think it's even more important than ever. 
to make sure your team plays in the preseason. At least some. I'm not saying all three games. Right. But get your starters in there for a real good tune-up so that week one isn't an outright shock to the system. Yeah, it really, it really, you really get the feeling that some of these guys have been, I don't want to say, you know, coddled because they're out there practicing, they're doing what they're asked to do, but they're not being asked to go hard and go physical uh, against li- and, like go live reps. Certainly sometimes they'll go live reps on the offensive line on pass protection and that kind of thing, but those guys aren't trying to tackle each other. You know, it's, a, it's different. So not only are they not playing them in the preseason, they're not allowed to practice them hard in training camp even. So it is an issue. And I think early in the season, you see some teams that get used to it and that are used to it and play better, and some teams that don't. Yeah. There is an update on the Bengals' long snapper, Clark Harris. He is going to miss extended time. He's been diagnosed with a torn biceps. Cincinnati is signing rookie Cal Adamitis from the practice squad to take his place as the long snapper going forward. And uh, at least he is a long snapper by trade. So hopefully their operation looks better than it did at the end of the game yesterday. Let's get back to the phones, though, and go to Bucky and Amherst next. What do you got for us, Bucky? Hey, guys. Uh, I was reading the line scores in all the games from yesterday. And I see the Atlantic Falcons, uh, Atlanta Falcons have a running back, uh, ran for 120 yards on 22 carries, scored a five-yard touchdown run and caught three passes for 16 yards. And uh, his name was Patterson. Now, hopefully, is that the kid from UB? Because I know he was with the commanders last year. Yeah, he didn't make the uh, roster, but no, it was Corderell Patterson, the former wide receiver who's been converted into a running back. He's 6'3", 240 pounds. Jared Patterson is barely over 5'6", uh, and is kind of a squatty little back. Good good little player. Uh, unfortunately, he did not make their active roster this year. So, no, it was not him. Okay. Just checking his feet. Thanks. Yeah, you no bet. problem. Yeah, it was Corderell Patterson. 22 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. He also caught three passes for 16 yards, so 136-yard effort from uh, Corderell Patterson in a heartbreaking loss in which there were miscues oh galore gosh. on both sides of the both sidelines. It was bad. It was an abomination it was, it was of execution so and coaching. It was so bad. And it's it's become an art form game management at the at closing of the first half and the closing of the second half. It's it's become an art form and in some cases a lost art. Um these situations that come up with the clock, with down and distance, with the rule changes that happen inside the two minutes of each half, uh, it's it's hard to stay on top of it. And yesterday, yesterday, week one, we saw some teams that were just unprepared mentally. And it there's no – Jameis Winston's like, what, a, a six-year vet, seven-year vet? Yeah, seven. He had no clue the clock was stopped and spiked it. On get, first down. And got intentional grounding because of it. It's, so now 10-yard penalty, loss it down when you're trying to win the dang game. It's How do you miss that? Um, and that's just one instance. Oh. The Cincinnati Bengals left a touchdown on the table. The Because they didn't re- because challenge they did, it. They, yeah. And, I mean, you had to be blind not to see that. Yeah. I was, I'm shocked that the <laughs> official didn't give him the touchdown. And – 
They just, now nah, we'll get it. It's first and goal on the one. Let's, we'll get it. And they didn't get it. So stuff like that happened. And this Atlanta-New Orleans game. It was a comedy of errors. Was, a, yeah. It was a dumpster fire at the end. Nobody, I mean, it's like everybody's like, oh, oh. Like they didn't even know what to do. It was crazy. So it's so difficult. And I get it, too. It was hard. It was, I, I was never a guy that was way into the clock management. I, there were some things, you know, obvious things. But, man, oh, man, you, when they started changing the rules in the last four minutes, last two minutes, and then the, who's, the challenges and what's a challengeable and clock stopping and starting, they've tinkered with that over the years. So it gets a little confusing because the rules change from time to time, like we've been reminded of uh, today. But, man, oh, man, there are some coaches and staffs that just were unprepared for the situations they faced in real games. No. It's amazing. And I get this, too. Now, there's this, too. Every staff, like, they rotate. You know, guys change roles. They change titles. They get a little more responsibility. Coaches, young coaches are moving up in the ranks within the staff on their own team. Yeah. And they get different responsibilities. And the guy who takes their, over their old responsibilities – is still learning how to communicate what he's thinking and what he's knowing. So there's some there are 20 coaches, 20 plus coaches, maybe sometimes 30 coaches on a staff. They've all got very specific responsibilities on game day. And sometimes it gets lost in the wash who's supposed to be doing this or how to do it on game day. So I get that. But that's pretty important stuff to leave un yeah, unattended. Unchecked. Yeah. Uh, we go quickly to Kevin in Hamburg next. Kevin, what do you got for us here on One Bills hey guys, Live? how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I want to say that the three takeaways I have from week one besides the Bills' awesome game is I don't think the Bengals are going to sneak up on people like they did last year and be like, wow, look at that. Um, in the NFC, I think the Vikings, not the Packers, could be the new dangerous team of that division. Mm-hmm. I think the Packers will be good. But I don't think they're going to be deadly like they usually are. Without Devontae, that guy that dropped that pass, even a high school kid guy could catch that one. The one the guy dropped. Yeah, Christian Watson. Yeah, I see high school guys catch passes like that better. And the last one for our division, I think Miami, they'll never be like they were during the short Marino days, but I think they could be the one that we'll have to worry about the way we did the Patriots. Maybe not as dangerous as the Patriots, but much more, they're not going to be the stinko, the stinkos that they usually were. So that's okay. what I want to say about that. All right. Sounds good, Kevin. Thanks for the phone call. What do you think about Minnesota Vikings being the new well, top dog in the NFC North? It's yeah, only one week. Yeah, right. That's, that's, I, that's the only thing I can say. I don't. I, it's one week. They look like a more well-rounded team than the Packers now with all the – all the talent attrition mm-hmm. that's gone off of the Packers roster, including Zadarius Smith, who's now on the Vikings right. and had a monster game. That was a net gain for the Vikings. That was yeah. a major net gain for them. And then the talent drain at the receiver position. They got some young – they didn't have Alan Lazard yesterday due to injury. That obviously hurt the Packers, one of their few veteran wideouts who's played with Rodgers for a few years. I think that receiving core is going to be a work in progress. They may have it humming, but you wonder how far behind the Vikings are they going to be if – they don't start clicking until week eight. Yeah, last thing for me. LaFleur, uh, Mike LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, can't win a home playoff game with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Despite back-to-back 13-win seasons. They got 
they got their heads handed to them twice at home in the playoffs. Well, special teams is what lost in the game last year to the Niners. That that falls on a head coach. Yep. That so I'm, yeah, I'm. It, they're taking a step back talent wise, and I think they yeah, I think it's going to show this year. Break time for us here. More of your phone calls next. Give us your takeaways from Week One action around the NFL. How do the Bills stack up? Any teams you're worried about? Any teams you're laughing at? You might be after some of the hijinks we saw in week one. We're back in a moment here on One Bills Live. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. There are some injury updates around the league. Looks like Chris Godwin's going to miss a few weeks. It is only a hamstring strain, so good news for him. There is still no official word as to whether it's a torn peck for T.J. Watt, but I got to believe he's going to be out indefinitely. And usually if the news is bad, it tends to be held a little bit longer. You know, they don't release it right away. And you could almost read his lips coming to the sideline, I tore my peck. Yeah, I I also think, think too, usually in a player particularly of his caliber, they'll get a second opinion and uh, take their choice. They'll have their choice about how to handle it, you know, in the rehab and all that. So those are two two of the bigger injuries, along with Dak Prescott, who's not going to be back until Halloween or later uh, after needing surgery on the thumb. So tough week for some teams around the NFL for sure. But uh, let's get back to the phone, squeeze in some more phone calls here before we get to the top of the hour. We go to Dave in Allegheny next. What do you got for us, Dave? Hi, guys. Hey, uh, let's not get – we all love the Bills, but let's not get too giddy over uh, beating the Rams team that uh, was missing uh, two of their top wide receivers, two new offensive linemen, and we all know where Miller went. So, uh, you know, one game at a time, I think Tennessee's going to come in here fired up after losing at home. That's going to be a tough game. Uh, go Bills. Yeah, you're, you're right that uh, Tennessee – is going to come in here motivated after losing on a, you know, they had a chance to win it, missed a 47 yard field goal there at the end after the giants went for two to go up by one. They weren't expecting to lose that game at home in Nashville to a team that had a top five draft choice last year with a first time head coach. That was an upset and they're going to be upset about it. So yes, and I, I will say, while I believe the Titans are not what they used to be, even last year or the year before, they still have Derrick Henry, and that enables you with the ability to grind out games if you can run the football. Now, that's a big yeah. if against this new and improved defensive front for the Bills, but I think they're going to give them a hell of an effort. Yeah, Tennessee is not afraid to be in close games. We saw that last year. They're going to come in and play their game against the Bills, and you're right. I mean, there's – there's no reason to think that Tennessee is going to be anything different than what they were a year ago. Certainly, um, you know, losing OJ or um, the the big receiver they had, Julio Jones, AJ Brown. A, yes, AJ Brown. Them. Both those guys. Um, but they still have Tannehill, who is we. Hey, he wins games. I don't like. Him. You know, you say what you want. You know, whether you like him or not, the guy wins games. They were the number one seed last year. We'll see, but. Uh, they're going to come in, and they've got you know coach of the year Mike Vrabel. I've got a lot of respect for the guy has his team ready to play, and 
all that all this stuff we've been making fun of all morning this clock management timeout management going forward on fourth down stopping the clock not reviewing it when you should have reviewed it mike vrabel never misses any game management decision ever he is on it yeah. better than maybe any coach in the league um, he always gives his guys the best scenario in every choice he's got to make um, he doesn't miss so that's he's impressive for that reason to me. Uh, all that stuff about you know game management, play selection, go for it, don't go for it, challenge, don't challenge. That guy's on it. Maybe so. He's he's elite at that, and that's that's a hard thing to overcome for some teams. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of a game, you're not going to get any gifts from that team. So they they close out games in a big way. So yeah, it's. As good as the Bills played, they're going to have to play equally as good, maybe better, to beat the Titans on Monday night. Back to the phones and to Tom and West Seneca next. What do you got first, Tom? Chris, Steve, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate sure. it. Uh, it's Monday, and I'm in a, one of those uh, criticizing moods. Oh, okay. Nothing against the Bills. I'll tell you that up front. It's about this J.J. Uh, Watt. Uh, was it three years ago? He had the opportunity to come to the Buffalo Bills. But, of course, we know it's all about how much money can I make. And he could—he was going to make more if he went to the Cardinals. So he went to the Cardinals, but I think he and his agent didn't think this string through. The Cardinals were not going to go to any Super Bowl uh, anytime soon. So if J.J. Watt stays with the Bills, and he's a great player, if he stays with the Bills, his chances of getting a Super Bowl ring are – very possible. So he could have taken a couple mil, two, three mil less. I'm throwing big numbers around like they're nothing, but he would have made all this back after winning a Super Bowl with the Bills in endorsements alone. His endorsements would have gone through the roof. He would have made all that money back. Now, that's about J.J. Watt. Now, a criticism, just one criticism about the game. At halftime, well, first of all, I thought we were going to be win big. And it started off that way. It looks like we were going to walk away with it. But at halftime, close to halftime, it was 10 to 7. Being 10 to 7, a field goal makes it 10 10. Uh, their field goal kicker is a 57 yard field goal to kick. Why did Coach McDermott not ice that kicker? To think about a 57 yard field goal, which is that's a long field goal. Now, that being said, last year you had naysayers, uh, both fans and uh, and some sports journalists, I believe. Uh, they weren't uh, too sure about Josh Allen yet. And I could not figure that out. I thought, uh, who are these people? Don't they know football? So the thing, the thing of it is, is that if I saw Josh Allen in his first season, and I said, this guy, he's going to be great. And... Fortunately, I was right, so I'm, uh, I can predict. Uh, I'm like Nostradamus, like you there know. There you but go. Uh, absolutely. Easy to see he was going to be great. That being said, he is great now. He played a great game the other night, and uh, our defense. I have never seen a defense like that. That they're unbelievable. I've never seen a defense that good since a defense that the Ravens had when they won their first Super Bowl oh, wow. in the early 2000s. That's some lofty that's praise from you, Tom. That's pretty much it for my criticisms. Don't be mad at me. Oh, that's fine. But that's, 
that's pretty much it. I, I thank you guys for listening. All right, to thanks, me. Tom. No, we, hey, we want opinions. That's why we want people to call. Give us your opinion. Let us know. If it's critical, that's fine. It's just as long as you can back it up with whatever thing you want to say about it, that's fine. Yeah. And uh, kudos to you. Just don't be you. mad if we don't agree with everything <laughs> you want to say. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, some good points there. Unfortunately, we're out of time here in this segment, so we can't really react to it all that much. We will take a break here because when we come back, we're going to get the thoughts from Bill's radio color analyst, Eric Wood. Obviously had the call of the game with Murph on Thursday night. We'll get his thoughts on the game in the win over the Rams next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to Hour 3 of a Buffalo Football Monday. We don't have a game that happened just yesterday. It was a few days in the rearview mirror. But that doesn't mean we don't want to speak to uh, the man who called the game with Murph on Thursday night. One Eric Wood joining us, as he does after each and every Bills game. And uh, Eric, good to see you got back from the West Coast. Okay, that's number one. And number two... If you had to say, if you had to pick one thing that you took out of that game that maybe surprised you in a good way, you know, you're around this team a lot, so you know it backwards and forwards, but if there was something that came out of it that surprised you in a good way, what would you pick from that performance? You know, I don't think I was surprised at all by what Von Miller did. I'll say maybe the rest of the defensive line, it was great to see that Jordan Phillips could come back in and pick up right where he left off when he left the Bills a few years ago. That was incredible the way he rushed the passer. Ed Oliver goes down with an ankle injury, but I felt like the rest of that defensive line just feasted completely. I saw a stat that Boogie Basham had a 25% win rate, which is one of the top five rushers in the NFL. And so, you know, you knew that Von Miller coming in, he was going to be effective. I assumed that going against his former team that he would feast and, and he would make an impact on this game. It was what the rest of that defensive line could do. They controlled the line of scrimmage in the run game first and foremost, because, you know, a lot's made of Cooper cup in this passing game of the Rams, but first and foremost, McVay's a Shanahan guy and everything they do is set up off the run game, then follows the play action. And then it's, Uh, drop back pass and so the way that they were able to control the line in the run game and still be able to rush the passer at will was very encouraging it's encouraging to know that you know their biggest downfall last year being able to affect quality teams and now you're talking about the defending Super Bowl champions but to affect quality teams quarterbacks with just a four-man rush just wasn't there consistently last year and through one game small sample size but it sure looks like all the investments that the Bills have made over the last few years with the draft and then this year in free agency has paid off. Yeah, you look at the the, the sack that you know, we've, you've seen on all, all over social media was the one where uh, Ed Oliver, Harrison Phillips, and Boogie Basham or maybe Rousseau, they were all on top of the quarterback. They met at the quarterback. The thing that nobody notices is that Von Miller's getting double teamed by the right tackle, right guard, and all three of the other defensive linemen end up on top of Matt Stafford in the pocket. So Von, you know, you thought you talk about a difference he can make 
it was evident right there uh, in that one play. Von Miller gets doubled by the right right tackle, right guard, and all three of the other defensive linemen sack the quarterback. Um, yeah, Von was a was an absolute difference in that game, no question. And I think that led to the other guys that we've been talking about. They kind of got him over the hump. You know what I mean? I mean, all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at you know, I one on one, I can win a lot of the times. You know, so. Uh, I thought that was indicative of how how a big a difference a guy like Vaughn can make uh, just in that one play alone. Yeah, you're exactly right. And there was throughout my career, we'd play against premier edge rushers. And so much of your game plan has to go into, okay, on this play, does the running back chip, does the tight end chip? Do we just line up a tight end across from him? So maybe he's got a wider route to the quarterback. And so all of your attention is going towards one guy. And then when you have six, seven other guys that can rush the passer, it becomes really tough as an offensive lineman when, okay, three of us are going to have to be one-on-one here because we can only devote so many eyes to one guy. And Von Miller is that guy because he's the type of guy that can take over a game. And so, yes, Von Miller has a presence on the field. He obviously this offseason and throughout camp has had a, a tremendous leadership impact on the group. And then in game, with all the attention that goes to him, it frees other guys up. And that's just what they were missing. When you can just run protections and you're not worried about it, then it just becomes tougher on the entire group. And then that being said, when you're able to free release your running backs and free release your tight ends, well, then that becomes harder to cover. And so now in each play, you got a guy that's only kind of halfway out in a route because now he's, you know, he's chipping Vaughn on the way out. Well, that helps the coverage as well. And when you're talking about starting a rookie cornerback tandem on one side, Dane Jackson, who is a newer starter in this league. So you have inexperience at cornerback. When you can have seven sacks and affect Matt Safford on a majority of his dropbacks, that makes a big difference on the back end of that defense. One of the things I got to ask you about, because I have no idea about this, but it seems to make sense to me. How difficult is it? So you got this big, this the centerpiece of their D line, which is Vaughn Miller. So you spend all your time thinking, okay, where you get first, you got to find where is he lining up? Where is he coming from? Then you got to set your protection, set your chip, set your help. But how big is a problem does it, does it present then after that, that you got seven other guys, each with their own skill set, each with their own pluses and minuses that you kind of got to get ready for individually. Cause all those guys are going to be singled up theoretically so you got it as a guard or an, or a left tackle or right tackle. You got to think, okay, I, if this guy's here, I'm going to be ready for this. And, and then you get you don't. It's like three series into the game before you even see the guy, and you've got all this other stuff thinking about. It. So how big a you know a plus is it that not only got this centerpiece in Von Miller that you got a coaching staff that is absolutely resolute that you're going to see all seven guys at some point during the game. It makes a big difference because throughout the week, you have to prepare for all those guys. So it becomes tougher to prepare for two lines, two ways of guys coming at you. And then, you know, we would always think as an offensive line, if we could get a first down and those D linemen stay on the field, okay, now they don't have their legs under them as much. It becomes easier for us. Well, as soon as the defensive line doesn't have their legs under them, you bring in a whole new wave of guys with a different skill set, like you mentioned, who are all about equally as good at rushing the passer, maybe outside of a Von Miller, and they just come at you in waves. So then you get halfway down a drive, and you're thinking, okay, now I have a tired defensive line. Well, now you have a fresh defensive line of all guys that can now rush the passer. Yeah, that that is a big deal. And what it does is it, it keeps those defensive linemen fresh, and it should keep them fresher throughout an entire season. 
Eric, we talked a lot about the team's success on third down, going 9 of 10. One thing that we haven't talked a whole lot about was how Josh kind of spread the wealth in the passing game, targeted seven different players. The backs got involved in the passing game to help alleviate some pocket pressure at times. And Josh was willing to use the dump-offs to kind of neutralize what Aaron Donald was doing up front. So question here, your thoughts on how they were satisfied or willing to take the small stuff and stay patient early to stay on schedule in terms of down distance. Yeah. And that's what you got to do against good defenses and teams that want to take away the big plays, especially early. And I think that's a big progression that Josh has made over these last few years. And you see this accuracy jump in percentage and he goes from it's been talked about over and over, but he goes from last in the NFL, last in the NFL to top five in, in accuracy, and then he's top 10 these last couple years. And so looking at that, I think one thing he has done just extremely well is take what the defense gives him. Well, that becomes a lot easier and no knock on the guys that he was playing with at receiver his first few years. But when you have guys now, yes, you have your digs, your bona fide number one receiver. You have Gabe Davis, who's emerged as a, as a top receiver, maybe a top 20, 25 receiver in this league. But then you have McKenzie, you have Crowder, you have Dawson Knox, who you just gave this extension to. You have some backs that are coming out of the backfield. They have Reggie Gilliam, a fullback who you can line up on the outside, who can run routes that you have to respect out there. You have so many weapons that you can truly take what the defense gives you, and you don't have to force the ball down the field in order to get a big play. And, and I thought the game plan was excellent early. Okay, if Aaron Donald gets on a hot streak early and makes a bunch of plays, that defensive line is going to continue to rush the passer at will. But it's defeating for a defensive line when you're getting the ball out of your hands so fast. And, you know, a couple times early, yes, Donald had the one sack, but a couple times early, he won in pass protection in his one-on-one -on -one battle. Josh Allen steps up, he either takes off running or he gets, you know, a modest gain. Well, that's defeating for a defense. When you're winning on the defensive line, you still don't even touch Josh. The ball's coming out of his hands and you're staying in a manageable down and distance. And it becomes so much easier for a play call when you're not backing up with sacks you're not backing up with lost yardage in the run game and you're continuing to move forward it just opens up the entire playbook let's look take a quick second to look around as as week one is going to come to a close tonight with the denver game in seattle the patriots play the dolphins and Brownie and i you know i watched it again today woof it, it was a snooze fest, you know, and certainly Miami's Miami's defense is legit, and so is the Patriot defense, as you would imagine. They're, they're still really well coached, and they're good. But that was a, a game you, – you watch that game, and you just don't see an avenue for those teams to consistently compete with teams like the Bills, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Ravens. Uh, you know, you go down the list. They just can't score enough – to stay in games like that, and you see that you know the Dolphins come away with a nice victory against the Patriots. What are your thoughts about the rest of the division? And of course, the Jets, you know, only only you know hanging just a, you know not very many points on the yeah, on the Ravens either. Yeah. So, you know, what are your thoughts about the rest of the division? Well, it sure doesn't look good right now, but there's a long season. I'd say Miami's probably your next toughest test, and that's not anywhere near a hot take. They have the second most talent in the division, but under a new head coach and uh, some new pieces on offense, we'll see how they can progress throughout the season. But, you know, to me, Tua's has never flashed yet as a big-time quarterback in this league. Now he's got a lot of talent around him, and we'll see how he progresses individually. But, yeah, it does. It, the rest of the division doesn't look that strong right now. The Patriots just – 
not a lot of weapons on offense, not a true offensive coordinator. I mean, that's just a, a goofy situation over there in New England. Um, and then with the Jets, you know, I, I, there's there's not a whole lot that scares me about them uh, making a run at, at competing with the Bills in the division. Where do we think the um, cornerback situation goes? Coach McDermott basically pointed to Benford's body of work as to why he got the nod to start the game. But in the end, he only gets nine more snaps than Kyrie Elam does on that side of the secondary. Do, should we expect the platoon to continue? And based on what you know about how Coach McDermott likes to keep guys on edge when it comes to competing with one another, should we expect that platoon to continue going forward here? I would expect it, and I would expect it for a little while. It gives you, it allows both those guys to gain experience. So if you have an injury anywhere at either cornerback, now you have two experienced guys over there. And look, when you hold that Rams offense uh, to ten points total, and and really their only touchdown drive comes on a kickoff that goes out of bounds, and they get the ball in the forty. When you look at that, you say, why why? try and fix something that's not broken right now. And, and so both those guys to me were impressive in, in their first start, you know, you can pick on Benford for maybe not getting enough depth and I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what his responsibility on the one play that cup caught behind him, but there was no one in the flat. So I would assume maybe you sink a little bit deeper in that situation, but those guys can both tackle They're physical. I thought Dane Jackson played well. And, and that being said, I, I think you keep them, platooning because there's there's no point in changing right now unless they go back and watch the film and say Benford or Elam did something dramatically better to where we want to keep those guys on the field but right now I think you keep platooning them how what's your guys thoughts on that yeah I would agree with you that you know it's certainly it's not broken um they played well and I you know the biggest acid test is you know you heard their name neither one Elam or Benford and you held a guy like Allen Robinson now certainly you can't hold them responsible for doing this. But Allen Robinson got like two targets and one catch. Right. Now, Cooper Cup got his share, no question about it. But, you know, I, I, I'm with you. Keep, keep on keeping on and get those two guys as much experience as you can. And this will be a great week to do it as well because Tennessee is not a throwing team. <clears throat> You're going to have to put your big boy pants on and, and kind of come up and stop the run. So – Keep them fresh and keep rotating them. I have no issue with it at all, particularly given the fact that, you know, at this point in the early going, neither one has distinguished themselves, but they're both playing good. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think just keep on keeping on yeah. and get the guys ready because you're going to need them at some point. What? Um, yeah, I agree with that. And then the one thing I would add is throughout the preseason, I kept just waiting for one of them to make an egregious error where you'd say, man, he really looks like a rookie there. He doesn't fit on this field, but neither of them played themselves out of the position right. to be a starter. And so from what we got to see with our eyes in the preseason, what we got to see week one, it's hard to differentiate the two of them. And so I think you keep platooning them at this point. And then when Trey comes back, you have four quality corners and if if everyone can stay healthy until that point, what you you came into the season worried about your quarterback depth, then all of a sudden you feel really good about it. Right. Last one for you, Eric. We know the Titans are going to be smarting after blowing that game to the Giants this past week. Knowing that franchise like you do, what kind of Titans team should we have the Bills expect on Monday night? 
Well, let me first acknowledge uh, the gutsy call by Brian Dayball to go for two at the end of that game. I texted Joe Shane afterwards and I said, did you agree with the call? I don't think Joe would mind me sharing this. I said, did you agree with the call? He said, heck yeah, we're trying to set a culture here where these guys expect to win and we're going to be aggressive going after wins. So I love that. I got the chance to text with both Brian Dayball and Joe Shane. And I know uh, I saw throughout uh, social media, you know, those guys, yes, they leave the organization, but you know, they both got upgrades. They both got promotions. No one blames them for going over there. So I was so excited to see that. And they beat the team that was number one in the AFC last year and takes home field advantage away from us. So that being said, I love the result of that game. And then, yes, you're going to have a hungry Tennessee game. No one wants to start 0-2 in the NFL season. I don't care if you add a 17th game. No one's trying to start 0-2. They'll be extremely hungry. Mike Vrabel is going to have those guys ready to go. This is a team that has had the Bills number. So they will come in here with a certain amount of confidence thinking, we can get it done. We've done it the last two years. It's a lot of familiar faces in Buffalo. We could do it again. You know, I saw the opening lines, nine and a half. That's a monster spread. That's that's a testament to Tennessee losing against the Giants in week one, who everyone thought the Giants right. were maybe the front runners for the number one pick in the draft. And then you have Tennessee, um, you know, laying an egg. And then you have the Bills showing out on Thursday night football in front of everyone across the country and, and looking like the best team in the NFL and looking like the uh, betting favorite right. to win the Super Bowl. So that being said, the Bills are in a tough test. They got to be able to stop Derrick Henry and you got to be able to stop him for four quarters. And then when they do decide to go to the play action, which was kind of the biggest factor in the game last year was besides that one long by Derrick Henry, they were able to bottle him in. But when all your eyes are on Derrick Henry, you've got to be careful with that play action pass. But this Bills defense, man, they sure looked the part in week one. And and I think they'll be up to the test. And, you know, we could talk about how much Mike Vrabel will have these guys ready to go and fighting to be 0-2. Well, Sean McDermott is going to be playing the same game with the Bills saying this is the team the last two years that pretty much embarrassed you. And, yes, it's a it comes down to the end. But the number one highlight from two years ago is Derrick Henry uh, face-palming Josh Norman. And then last year it's – Josh, you know, stumbling on himself and getting stopped on the QB sneak because it's your Monday night football game with everyone watching. That being said, I think I think Sean McDermott's going to light a fire under his guys that into, going into this game as much as, you know, maybe the Titans will be ticked off and ready to roll themselves. Yeah, I agree with you. The Titans are well coached. They don't make mistakes. It's hard to beat them by double digits, let alone nine and a half points or whatever it was that, that you said. And I also, But I also think this, when you look at the two rosters of these two teams, Hard to make a case that the Titans got better this last offseason. Easy to make the case that the Bills got vastly better. And, of course, they played like it on, on opening night. So it's – I get why the bandwagon jumpers are going to be, you know, jumping all over the, you know, the nine and a half points or whatever, the big favorite the Bills are. Uh, and I do think the Bills are a better football team, but I think Tennessee's so well coached, it's going to be a tight game. It is, and that's what we saw a couple of years ago when the Bills go down there and the Bills are incredibly hot. And, you know, it was a messed up situation with COVID and the game getting delayed till Tuesday, but they go down there and Tennessee handles them. And so, you know, Tennessee will think we can do it again. I thought it was interesting that, you know, the Bills wanted to get more physical across the line of scrimmage, maybe the most physical team in the NFL the last two years were the Titans. Well, we bring in Roger Saffold, their best run blocker, and we bring in Daquan Jones, who's a beast in the middle of the field on defense. And so we kind of cherry pick two guys on their roster who we say, hey, if we want to get more physical, let's take these guys and see if it rubs off on our culture as well. And, you know, who knows through week one, maybe, maybe it did a little bit.
Eric, thanks as always. We'll catch up with thanks, you next Z week. Wood. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Look forward Eric. to seeing you guys this weekend. Yeah, yeah. That's Eric Wood, Bills Radio Color Analyst on the Bills Radio Network. He'll be calling the game Monday night, a week from tonight. Hard to believe the week, games are still a week away. It's going to feel like forever to get there, man. We have another 15, well, uh, 14 We have another games. week of games. Another before... 14 games. We have. A, it's, remember, Monday night this week is a doubleheader that the Bills kick off first. Then there's another one that uh, like an 8-3rd. There's a 7-15 yeah. kick for the Bills and an 8-20 kick for somebody else. We haven't even played this week's Which Monday is, night yeah, game. The other game's unimportant. <laughs> got Seahawks <laughs> yeah, and Broncos right. tonight. Right, Seahawks and Broncos tonight. Um, I don't cap wanna... week one, yeah. That's right. Um Next week, the, the other Monday night game is uh, Vikings-Eagles. Oh, okay. That's actually a pretty good game. No, it isn't. It's, well, it's not a bad matchup. It's a, come on. It's not Jags-Texans. Well, that, yeah, well, no. It's not Titans-Bills either. Okay, Bro fair. Sleeve. All right, let's go back to the phones as we're asking you for your takeaways from week one around the NFL. Something that might have impressed you, something that might worry you about competition for the Bills, you can let us know. We go to Chuck in Williamsville next. What do you got for us, Chuck? Chuck, turn your radio down. Hello. Chuck, Chuck. you're on, man. You're killing us. Yes. I <laughs> um, just was wondering if you heard, and I believe it was on first take with Stephen A. and Bart Scott, um, Bart Scott's comments of Josh Allen when they were talking just how tough Josh Allen was and, you know, the style of quarterback that he plays. And Bart Scott makes this comment, we'll see how tough he is when they take out his kneecaps. Yeah. And I, I was amazed. Actually, I thought it was atrocious that a former player would make that comment on a, a national network. In fact, I'm replaying it right now in my house. And – Wondering what you, Chris, and Steve, being a former player, think of another player saying that on a national network. Well, I don't, I don't want you to miss – here's the thing, and I don't I, – I, I got some respect for Bart Scott as a player and as an analyst and all that. And one of the things – and I think what he was referring to, and most players would say this as well, he's not making a, a reference to somebody going out and, and deliberately going to Josh Allen's kneecaps. He was exaggerating to a point to make a point about how dangerous it is for a quarterback to run. I don't think he's aspiring or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, hoping, hoping or saying that that would happen. I, and I don't, I don't think that kind of stuff goes on as much as regular folks outside of football think it might. Uh, guys don't go out to deliberately hurt somebody. They don't. And they don't wish it on anybody. So what Bart Scott, I think, and what I interpret those remarks as as a former player, is that it's easy enough to go out there and it's all great while it's working, but sooner or later, somebody's going to he's gonna get hurt. That was what he was saying. I don't think he was deliberately making the, the comment that somebody was going to deliberately kneecap Josh. Uh, yeah. I think he was trying to be flippant about the risk of a quarterback who runs as much as Josh does. But I get your point about yeah. it sounding the way it sounded, but I don't think that's where the gist of what he was saying. Yeah. Not for nothing, Bart Scott doesn't always choose his words carefully. Um, he'd rather be a little bombastic because that's part of his shtick um, as an analyst at times. So we weren't there to hear it in its exact context, right. so I don't want to assume. Um, but, yeah, the way you framed it makes me wonder a little bit just what he was getting at. But it certainly I tend doesn't to lean sound toward great. I'd certainly lean toward where Steve's, Steve is coming from, but it wouldn't be the first time that 
he said something that he wished he, he framed differently um, in his time on ESPN. We have to take a break here because uh, when we come back, Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator for the Bills, is set to address the media coming off of their resounding defensive performance against the Rams in which they posted three takeaways, all interceptions, along with seven sacks and 15 quarterback hits on Matthew Stafford. We'll hear from the Bills defensive play caller next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on this Bills Football Monday. And it's time for us to turn now to Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, who is addressing the media on the heels of his defense's fantastic performance against the Rams in week one. It's just interesting. I just was listening to Jim Rome's show, and he had Christian Bensford on. And uh, is he always a low-key guy? We could barely we could hear him, but he was kind of – it was like – Nothing phases him. Is that is that the kind of thing, type of player he is? He's, he's just an even kill type of guy? He really is. Uh, sounds like that interview really displayed his personality. Yeah, it uh, did. Yeah, he's a, he's a low-key guy, uh, but he's an intense guy on the football field. He plays hard. He plays fast. But, but uh, he's not a very loquacious guy. He's not going to be doing that. A lot of talking and messing around. That's not who he is. Yes, and it, it, uh, Villanova. How? What was it that brought you? I noticed he was rookie of the year his, his freshman year there in the CAA. Uh, I don't know what that is, that conference there in the uh, that Villanova plays in. Uh, was it? What was it that brought your attention uh, to him as a possible well, option? Where when we were looking at his tape uh, prior to the draft, you know, we saw a guy who was just consistently making plays, been around the ball and. Uh, show good coverage ability, uh, but play with a lot of poise, uh, George, uh, just under control all the time that yet was always in great position. And so when you get guys like that, that are athletic, they're smart, always putting themselves in position to make plays, they kind of get your, you know, they, they get your interest, pique your interest. And that's exactly what happened with Christian. And then we flew him in, had a chance to interview him, talk to him, get to know him. And just like, that you, what you saw in that Jim Rome interview is what we saw, you know, he was kind of low key. Uh, you know, we had to get him to speak up sometimes, but uh, you could tell that he knew the game and he was a really solid person as well. Excellent. Man, some of those descriptions, that sounds like you. Sounds like the way you, back when you were playing. That sounds that yeah. a good, uh, definitely those same, similar qualities. Yeah. Uh, and last, last but not least, with, with the defense uh, defensive scheme, I noticed Matt Stafford said he, uh, some of the schemes that you threw at him, he said he hadn't seen those in years, and uh, it, it took him back a step. Uh, I, how is your process? Is it something that you see on film that you think, and then come up, come up with the with the different schemes and the, and the disguise the disguises that you have? Because it seems like your what your top quality is disguising the coverage. Uh, these quarterbacks, almost all of them, say that they have trouble when they play Buffalo. They can't figure out what the coverages are. Right. Well, credit. Uh... John Butler and Jimmy Salgado, John working with our secondary, Jimmy working primarily with our safeties, and then Bobby Babbage with our linebackers are doing a great job of moving around and giving the, the, the opposing opponent different looks and not letting them be able to zero in on a certain look. 
and that has caused some confusion with quarterbacks, and it worked effectively for us uh, on Thursday night. So uh, our guys did a great job of accepting the game plan, and the coaches did a great job of, of, of really getting those players to execute. Well, thank you, Coach, Coach Frazier, for your time, and have a great week coming up. Good luck with Tennessee this uh, next weekend. Thank you. Hey, Leslie, you guys have a little bit of a longer week here to prepare for the Tennessee Titans. Um, but last year when you guys faced them, I know Derrick Henry had that really long rushing touchdown and then ended up tacking on a couple more toward the end of the game. So why do you think this new group of defensive linemen is up to the task of stopping him? And, and how do you think you guys need to be able to do that? Well, Matt, he's an outstanding back. I mean, he's capable of breaking a long run at, at any given moment. Uh, you know, we'll have to go on the field and, and, and really uh, show that we can stop him. We don't know that yet. Uh, we haven't gone against him with this group. Uh, we feel very confident that we'll be able to do a good job. But we also know he's an excellent back and he's very capable of, of breaking a long run. Uh, our goal is to limit that, of course, and to really make it hard for him and the rest of our offense. And we're going to do our very best to get that done. Thanks, Leslie. You're welcome, man. Hi, Leslie, Adam Benini. Um, yeah. I just wanted to, hi, I just wanted to, uh, you know, after kind of watching the film and everything, it, it, it sure looked like the way the defense executed in LA was kind of by design, how you guys built that thing and upgraded the front. But I'm interested from your perspective, how things graded out as you watched the film, what your overall thoughts were on the execution one game in. Yeah, you know, considering all things considered, Adam, uh, coming out of training camp where you can't do a lot of live tackling and hitting and, and, and doing things from a live standpoint, to come away from that game holding that team to less than 300 yards of total offense and tackling as well as we tackled, and then to come away with the takeaways and the splash plays by our defensive line, we were overall really pleased with uh, the production as well as the play by our players. They did a terrific job. It's sometimes hard to get a gauge when you don't play the guys very much in the preseason. You're kind of like, you know, just like the fans a little bit, wondering how we're going to respond. And our, our guys did a terrific job in the way they responded. And a lot of that credit goes to the type of training camp and all-season program that Sean and our sports science uh, department put together uh, to prepare us for that ball game. Specifically, is, is that what you expected from Von Miller? Yeah, you, you know, you hope that he's going to go out and, and, and have the impact that he had. You don't know until you actually get out there and do it. But his, his history says, yes, that's what you can expect. And sure enough, uh, he had a major impact on the game. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Hey, Coach, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, what's going on, sir? Hey, um, take us back into you get Vaughn in March. I think I asked you something at the time about, are you drawing up plays on napkins for him because you're getting excited or something like that? And what the process was like to kind of figure out how to use him within the framework of your offense and given all the different skill sets and things he can do, what that was like for the last several months for you guys leading up to Thursday. Oh, Sal, we've had a lot of discussions about Vaughn's usage along with how to use him. And uh, between myself, Eric Washington, our assistant defensive line coach, Marcus West, and then bringing Sean in on some of those conversations as well. And of course, getting an exchange from Vaughn, uh, we've had a lot of conversations about what's best and what's, what's the best thing to do uh, in practice and then on to games as well. And uh, fortunate for us, it worked out just like we drew it up. 
Uh, we got him the number of reps that we needed without uh, overextending him, but also getting the production at the same time. And, uh, but to answer your question, there were a lot of discussions about how we wanted to get this done. And it'll be ongoing, so it's not over with yet. We, you know, every week is going to be a little bit different in how we approach each opponent uh, and how we want to utilize Vaughn's talent. That said, um, you didn't blitz at all, which is very rare. Um, the, the, just the philosophy of that, the changing philosophy in the league maybe over the last whatever years and just your own independent philosophy. I mean, obviously it's, it's personnel based, it's game to game. We know that, but is, I mean, as a defensive coordinator, can you kind of speak to how much that's a dream to be able to get there with four and not have to blitz? Well, you, you're right. That is a coordinator's dream is not always the case, as you know. Uh, for different reasons and usually personnel. Uh, and there haven't been many games that we've had where we didn't blitz, but we had the luxury with the way the game was going on Thursday night and where our guys were performing up front that we could do what we did. And, you know, ideally that's how you want to do it. And it's a passing league today. Uh, these teams are going to throw it around and it's not, not I mean, it's, it's so often that you see teams throw for over, over 300 yards today. It's just, it's just common. And, uh, and a lot of times that's because you have to bring five, six guys and you expose your secondary at times. And, and sometimes you get them, but sometimes they get you as well. Uh, but fortunately for us, uh, we were able to, in that ball game, uh, do it with four, get the pressure on the quarterback and get the ball to come out uh, the way we wanted it to. Uh, but And some of the players uh, said after the game in the, lock, in the locker room and even in our meetings, our defensive line, they were like, Way to go, coach, without any pressure. And I said, let me tell you guys, I can't promise you it's going to always be that way, but hey, y'all keep doing what you're doing, it'll look like that. So uh, so it worked out in that game, but every game is a little bit different. You never know. I love it. All right, thanks, coach. See you this week. Thank you, sir. Hey, Leslie, John Worrell. Hey, John. Yeah, Sal kind of took my uh, question about not blitzing, but let me turn it around then for you. As successful as you were, um, going up against a, a, a team that likes to pass what are now the challenge and, and, and proving that you can you can get there with four what are now the challenges of facing a team that's known for a little bit more more of a ground game and, and and so so you can check the pass the pass defense off how do you check the run defense off and how do you look forward to checking off the run defense this weekend or monday yeah yeah i guess the titans i mean they present a different uh problem for sure uh because of the running back uh, that they have and Derrick Henry, who is outstanding. So uh, you really got to do a great job of stopping the run early on. That makes all the difference in the world. And that's going to be a tremendous challenge for us. And, you know, we're, we're going to try to put together a game plan that will help limit uh, those big plays by uh, Derrick Henry and that offense. Uh, but you have to get into it and you have to go out and play the game, you know, and, and, you know, we'll have a plan, but then we got to go out and execute that plan and uh, hopefully we can get it done. All right, that's uh, Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator for the Bills, addressing the media here this afternoon. Um, and obviously a lot of the questions have already fast-forwarded, Steve, right. to the Tennessee game. It's like, all right, we won that first one, on to the next. Yeah, yeah, nice job uh, dominating defensively. Now, uh, yeah. what about yeah. – But they did dominate in a big way, and knowing that – they got hits on Matthew Stafford on 22 of 41 dropbacks. You would imagine Tennessee is not going to have any interest in having Tannehill running around for his life back there either. I, I think they stick to what they do and probably 
stick with Henry and try to pound the thing out. Ball control because you don't want to give Josh Allen extra possessions. So if you can slow the game down, control the clock, and you're giving the Bills eight possessions instead of 10 or 11, logic says the Titans at least have a better chance to hang in the game. Right. Yeah. And and no, 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 Tennessee's not going to change their spots. Yeah. You know that. Um, whether Ryan Tannehill gets blitzed half the time or three-quarters of the time or zero amount of the time depends on what they see on film from this first game and how they handle it. But there's no doubt the Bills' job one isn't rushing the passer this week. Yeah. It's stopping Derrick Henry. Break time for us here. When we come back, we'll close it up with a comment or two from Coach Ken Dorsey, who also addressed the media today. We'll have that for you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. We mentioned on the show a couple of times today the success that the Bills had on third down, converting nine out of ten opportunities in the win over the Rams. Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey addressed the media earlier today and had this as his explanation as to why they were so effective on third down against L.A. I, I really felt like at, at half we were doing a lot of good things. It's just the thing that obviously derailed us was the uh, – the turnovers and um, and that really hurt us on some drives and um, we really felt like we were in a rhythm and and uh, um, those things kind of uh, derailed some things so just felt like there was no need to, to lose our mind or anything like that it's just you know go out and make the appropriate adjustments and um, I mean these guys are pros they're 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 a group of, of pros who understand that um, execution when you execute it brings energy and I think um, that's the biggest thing is is just we weren't quite executing at the level we were capable of in certain situations. So if we were able to fix those things, and then that was really going to help us in the second half. Not surprising. Um, the play calls were good. The execution was good. And he even said we adjusted as the game went on. So it's not like, hey, this is working. Let's just hang with it. It was interesting that Dorsey said he took input from the players in terms of what they were seeing out there and say, hey, we may right. want to try this the next time. Right, uh, yeah. And they always do their conversations that go on. And, and I'll say this, you go on, some players have a lot to say, and then in the film, and when you go back and look at it, it's like they were off their rocker. So that kind of kills their tra- credibility for the next time they have a conversation. Yeah. So if you're right, they get you get rewarded for it. We'll see if they can do it again next week. Steve and I will see you back here tomorrow at 1.